Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Drifting Prom, and I am your host, Gerald Hernandez. This episode is brought to you by Aeromotive Fuel Systems. Aeromotive is the leading manufacturer of aftermarket high-performance fuel systems. The company's products are the fuel system components of choice for Formula Drift drivers Matt Field and Dai Oshihara. Aeromotive's fuel system customization shop is specifically equipped to help you get your project car up and running. With fuel systems capable of supporting more than 3,000 horsepower, there's sure to be a solution for you. Visit aeromotiveinc.com and use code PROAM to get 10% off your entire order. Before I begin, or the show begins, I'd just like to apologize about the delay and the lack of episodes recently. It's been a very hectic time these past like, couple of months. Um, you know, getting ready for competition again for myself, competing in the Drift League, um, on top of everything else that, you know, day-to-day life throws at you. Um, but glad that we're back. I've got several episodes lined up already. So it's pretty good to say that we're back to a regular thing again. Um, with that, this week's guests are Alex Anderson and Brian Young. I start off a little rusty on this one. You know, it has been a minute, but I promise it does get good. Uh, we discussed a lot of topics, um, including spotting, sim rigs, overall... Um, professionalism in the sport as far as like what you want to be in the sport you know do you want to do commercials like von gittin jr or do you want to just show up and pay your way through fd you know with your own money and not necessarily worry about obtaining sponsorship and stuff like that um, without you know major sponsor obligations but anyways uh here it is. Thank you guys for listening, and I hope you enjoy the this episode of Drifting Prime. I think we're good now. Yeah, it looks like it. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. It's been a minute, man. I haven't recorded what I think I recorded an episode in March and then never released it. So it's kind of where I'm at with my life right now. Really? <laughs> yeah, with uh, Sean Hardham from uh, the Specty Canada Program series. But gotta get I that think, one. Um, he came down for Desert Mayon, didn't he, Brian? He yeah. has an RX-7, right? Correct. Yeah, he's got an RX-7. I can't recall. The I mean, yellow he, one. Yeah, he, he probably was. I just didn't know he was there. The yeah, he like, showed up with an RV. And... Yeah, he does show up comfortable, to say the least. Yeah. I feel like we're going to have to like pace our responses because it like cuts out over another person if you talk at the same time. No, I'll hear you guys no matter what, or at least I can hear the both of you no matter what. Okay, I seem gotcha. to be okay with that too. Yeah, but it does it does do that from time to time where both of you guys, if two people start talking at once, it will like go back and forth. Um, but anyways, we will uh, move on. So, thank you guys for coming on the first episode in a long time. Yeah. I do appreciate it, but if you guys would <laughs> the like resurrection to, episode, yeah, right. Uh, if you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourselves, we'll start with uh, driver. Sure. So my name is Alex Anderson. Um, I currently drive a C6 Corvette, um, competing in you know the drift league, 
and trying to get to any other Pro 2 licensing, or I guess Pro Spec licensing events this year, I, I can. Um, but Brian has been spotting for me, so I'll let him introduce himself. Yeah, my name is Brian Young, and I'm Alex's spotter. Short and sweet. Yep. Keep it simple. Uh, damn, it's been a while since I've done one of these, so I don't even know where to begin. Let's start off with the car. Other yes. than it's a C6. Yeah. What did you have done to that then? Yeah. Um, so it's still pretty basic. Mm. Um, it's definitely not done. But so a little background, like I started drifting like 10 years ago mm. and I had a, an S13 and, you know, I progressed pretty slowly. Like the first probably six, seven years, I just drove it with a stock K and drove the same like local track, like once a month. Right. Yeah. So I kind of learned the same year of experience, like five, six times over. And then I decided I wanted to compete pro-am. So I swapped the car and I did a Ford 302 swap, um, which was maybe not the greatest idea at the time, but it worked out. But basically I didn't know anything. So I had to do it three times and put all this work into it and waste <laughs> a bunch of money and like learn how to fabricate. And it was Lovely. a massive undertaking. So anyway, I drove that car for a couple of years, competed in Vegas drift in 2018, just did okay. You know, I, I barely qualified. I, there was a couple of events I didn't qualify and I never won a battle. Right. Yeah. It was just kind of getting out there and, and learning. And then, uh, actually at the end of the year, I crashed that car at desert Mayon. I remember that. Um, and pretty much totaled it. Yeah. I went to the hospital and thankfully it was okay, but yeah, the car is pretty much written off. So I, I had been wanting a Corvette for a long time, mm. <clears throat> you know, ever since like Matt Field started to dip his toes into it. Yeah. But always in my head, I was like, I'm too sunk into the S13 and I would never get enough money back out of it to like justify switching chassis. That was like the thought I always had. Right. Yeah. Um, so when I crashed that car, I kind of, I kind of think it was like silver linings. It pushed me to, to make that leap. Cause like I sold all the parts, like parted out all the good parts on it and actually ended up making way more money than I thought I would. So I was able to pull like almost 10 grand out of that car. Parting oh, wow. it out. That's not bad. Um, at all. And like went, went crazy with it. Like I sold a kid, my roll cage. Like we cut the roof off the car and I cut out the roll cage and sold it to somebody for 400 bucks. Like, so I literally stripped that, like every bit of meat was off the bone on that before I took it to the record and got my $14. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, then I decided, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to buy a Corvette and I know exactly what I want. Um, And I wanted it to be a completely different experience because I was like, I don't want to have that experience of it being like, a massive time suck where everything's custom, where everything needs to be worked on. You know what I mean? I wanted something that would like, boy, do I be simple. So that's kind of the, the plan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you can probably relate. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's so far kind of worked out well. You know, I bought the car. I looked at a bunch of cars. I was like super adamant about like, Hey, it has to be in mechanically good condition and needs to be cheap because of, other factors like body damage, you know, what have you. Yeah. So I ended up finding one that was uh, a rebuilt title. The guy had bought it at auction after someone had center punched the passenger door. And that guy works at a body shop and he fixed it all himself, drove it for two years and then put it up for sale. So I negotiated with him. I ended up getting the car for 14 
grand. That's, that's not bad. With uh, it had forty-seven thousand miles on it. So you know, motor, trans, diff, like everything is in like excellent condition, yeah, right? So, that's so I'm not having to like do a bunch of maintenance. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then since then I've done obviously safety stuff, right? Roll cage, fire mm-hmm. suppression seats, harnesses. Um, and then I've done, you know, front angle kit and radiator and oil cooler. What angle kit did you go in? That's pretty much it. So originally I had the part shop max modified knuckles and that's what I drove the car on at, uh, the first round of drift league last year. Okay. Which was okay, but not great. Cause like the stock control arms hit the wheel entire and you like maybe get like, 40 degrees of angle and then obviously if you go to full lock since there's no lock stops the tire would grab the control arm and it would spin you out um which it sounds like i saw your post yeah it sounds like you're having similar issues with your car yeah exactly same (laughs) but uh, yeah which sucks i i know that feeling it's like you can't you have to like you're not you can't like commit with the car because if you like go full throttle and commit it like touches the tire and spins you out yep Yep, been there. That's yeah, what happened on so. my first qualifying run for this what last weekend. So mm-hmm. I feel you. Uh, what, so what did you end up going with for your? Uh, what do you want now in the front? So now I have a FDF kit. Okay, and you like that over um, the which has just been stock knuckles basically or cut knuckles rather? Yeah. It's a lot better than that. Uh, I had I had a bit of a rough patch with them, to be honest. But to their credit, they took care of me. So originally, I bought their kit like right after it came out, and I had some issues with it. I had problems with it. The knuckles were like bending. The lock stops weren't working. I went back and forth with them. Um, but they came out with a new, like completely new design, like maybe like six, seven months after that. Oh, okay. And to their credit. Like they were, they were cool enough that actually, like I went back to them again. I was like, Hey, I'm continuing to have problems. Here's pictures of it. This is what's happening. You know, like, like, you know, the misalignment spaces they sent me were way too narrow. So when I torqued down my subframe, it cracked it because there's too big of a gap and it's a cast iron or cast aluminum subframe. Right. So you pull those ears in and they don't really want to bend. So it just snapped. So anyway, to, to FDF's credit, um, they ended up sending me a new angle kit for your charge. Um, so I'm very thankful that they stood behind their product. So I'm not trying to badmouth them at all. I was actually really impressed that they did that. Um, and then since I got the new kit, um, it's been, it's been good. It's been working as it should. The car feels good. The lock stops all work. I don't have those issues I was having. Um, I wish it had more angle. Um, and a part of that, I think might be the way I have it aligned, but I'm kind of working on that. Um, but I'm maybe in the future thinking about trying the PBM, but time will tell. Yeah. Uh, to add on to, uh, FDF, I actually work with them for like some other project I have going on the side. And, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Every time like something's messed up, like he immediately takes care of it. Josiah at least. Uh, he's really great with customers, yep. too, so I do appreciate that. Uh, what do you, what coilovers in? Do you have anything done to the rear end? Yeah, so the rear end is all stock arms. Um, I did put bushings in just to get rid of the rubber, so I put a uh, Delrin bushings in, which are pretty much solid. 
Um, and then you don't have to lubricate them like a poly bushing. That's the idea at least, but they've been working good for me. The car feels good. Um, the diff is stock. It's the factory LSD. Um, and then I have BC racing coilovers, which, uh, I would not recommend people buy for a Corvette because they have a bunch of problems. Um, Isn't other brands have where done mounts... a better job of like the mounts and stuff. Yeah. I think I've seen it cause I'm on the, the Facebook group, the Corvette page. <laughs> and I always see that bottom mount mm-hmm. be the, the issue. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly it. So like, honestly, like, like they, they feel fine. They drive fine. Like they do, they do good, but it's like that mount keeps popping out. Right. So like it comes off this poly bushing. So like every event, when I do my bolt check, I have to hammer that sleeve back over the bushing. Lovely. So what I'm worried about is eventually that bushing is going to fall apart and fail. Right. And then like they don't sell replacements is what other Corvette owners have told me. So it's like, all right, then at that point you got to like fabricate something to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. That's no fun either. Um, what did you get? How much? Sorry. Because I know that your doors have like a weird thing. They're electronic, right? Do you, yeah. how, do you get, how do you set it up to get out of the car? <laughs> About that. Um, so like it comes with like a mechanical latch on the floor. Oh, okay. To open the doors. Uh-huh. So, you know, like it, obviously as a street car, like if the you're in a crash and the, the, like battery got disconnected or whatever, you know, they have to have a way for the doors to open. So you can do it from the inside. There isn't a good way to do it from the outside. So actually what I'm going to do is I took those latches off the floor. I'm going to run up, um, run them up along the roll cage to like the A pillar bars or like up by the window and then mount them up there. So that like when I'm at an event, like a track worker could get to it. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Right. So like kind of like near the, uh... cause the thing I'm worried about, I was just going to say the thing I'm worried about is like if I crashed and like they ran up and hit my kill switch, you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't be able to get out of the car or if like, God forbid I was unconscious and they hit the kill switch, they wouldn't be able to open the door. Yeah. So I was like going to run those up and put them up somewhere where they could get to it through the open window and like paint them red and like, you know, maybe write door on it or something like that. Door release or something. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, it, uh, Considering it's becoming a more popular chassis, hopefully more people will know about that little tidbit of information soon. Because it does seem to be a yeah a bit important. Like, how do you open the door? Because I uh, a buddy of mine was it, working it on one. It could be a big safety issue. Yeah, a buddy of mine was working on one, and I went like just to sit in one just to see what it was like, and I was like, "How do you get out?" And then I found out it's a button. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> Um, what was your experience like with the drift league, uh, separate from, I don't know, like say Southwest drift event. Um, I honestly really like the drift league. Like, I think that it's, um, I enjoyed Vegas drift. Nick D's on there is an awesome dude. Um, and I had a lot of fun in that series. I like the Drifley kind of trying to take everything seriously, right? Yeah. Um, not that, you know, other series haven't in the past, but I think just part of like where they are and the resources they have and with Moto IQ helping them and seems more formal. It's just, 
it just was a different feel. Yeah, it feels more formal. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. even the round last year at Irwindale was like super formal. I felt like whereas mm-hmm. even you know this round that just came up, obviously was all brand new, new to them, and there was a bunch of stuff going on, so it was a little more relaxed. But yeah, I think it's a good way. Like you want to have that feeling, right? Like the whole idea is for you to be prepared to go to prospect. I agree. So. I appreciate that Rathina tries to like instill in us like, Hey, wear your suit to the meeting. Right. Like don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so stuff like that. Like I appreciate it. It's uh, it's definitely a good learning experience. Cause I'd rather learn in prime than show up, you know, all the way on the other side of the country and then get kicked out for the event. Cause you're not in your driver's seat or something, whatever the penalty is. I'm not sure. I'm just running off the top of my head. Yeah. Well, in this is kind of a separate subject, I guess, but like myself, Brian, what? Oh, sorry. Um, and like some of our other friends that are local drivers, um, we talk about how, like how brutal drifting is. Like, I feel like the way it's set up is so brutal that like driver retention is pretty low. Right. Like, like if you think about it, like, cool, you show up to an event, you get your one or two laps to qualify. Like if you get unlucky or, or you get nerves or whatever, like, okay, cool. You, you drove all the way out here. You spent all this money and you, you don't get to drive. And then that just continu- continues as you go up the ranks. Like, you know, prospect I crewed for Andrew Schulte in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pro two field was like, at some events it was like, I want to say like 42 drivers and there was only a top 16. Oh, it's gotta hurt. So like, think about the, yeah, think about that. Like, cool, you can go out there, spend all this money, bring your car up to Pro 2 spec, and then go spend, you know, depending out, you know, on budget you want to do it, um, you know, spend five grand around or eight grand around, and then literally go out there and have like, like he would get like three practice laps. You know what I mean? So if you did that and then you went out for qualifying and, and say you didn't make it because there's so few spots, I mean, how many of those guys do you really think are going to stick around or try to like push that and make it viable? Like sometimes I feel like it's just too brutal. Yeah. So obviously people are going to have different opinions on that, but I really like um, the fact that now they're doing like a full top 32. Yeah. So do I, I really like this setup. It was, it was, it was a struggle to wake up super early on Saturday. Not that I haven't done it before, but (laughs) I was trying to sleep in that day and I was like, it's not happening. But get it all done yeah. in one shot. Um, yeah, it definitely makes for a long event. But like, I think I like the, what they did with this last event. Like, I think it really helps the prospect drivers like get more seat time, get more practice laps, get more screen time. Right? Yeah. Like they're they're on the live stream on the day that pro is. So like all those people that usually wouldn't tune in will probably tune in. Like, so I like where they're going with it. Yeah, and Pro 2 looks pretty solid this year. Yes. Prospect. Yeah. Sorry. I got to get through it. You see that name. Um, <laughs> actually, so I wanted to talk about um, spotter stuff a little bit. The reason why I kind of brought both of you on together as a, as a <laughs> team, so to speak. Um, now, this is something I struggled with recently and it's something i just learned about myself is uh like how to communicate with a driver and spotter um 
like for instance, do you how do you like your communication? Do you want to know if you as far as line goes, let's just say you're on a bad line or something like that, like do you want to know like where your improvements can be made? Or do you want to know how to improve them as far as like, oh, if you, you know, drive this way, you'll be able to fill the whole zone. Or are you like a driver, like, just tell me where I'm coming up short and I'll figure it, I'll figure out how to get to the, to the zone. I, I'm wording it terribly, so forgive me um, if that makes any sense. No, I... I get what you're saying. You're basically asking like, hey, do you prefer if I have Brian tell me, hey, man, you need to uh, e-brake longer before you get in that zone versus him saying, hey, man, you need to be deeper in that zone. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like basically telling me like driving input or just telling me the facts of like, hey, this is where you are in the course. Exactly. (laughs) Um, I, I think a mixture of both like. Brian and I are still kind of new, you know, this was really our first time working together, but you know, to that point, we kind of talked about that before the event or Brian brought it up. He's like, Hey, what, how, how do you want me to tell you things? Or when do you want me to tell you things? Do you want more input, less input? Like, so for me, like, I don't feel like my driving is like amazing. Right. Mm. So getting input on, Hey man, I think you're doing this like doesn't bother me or confuse me or like get to my ego at all. Right. Like, so if he tells me, Hey, I think you should do this. I'm open to that input. So, so kind of a mixture of both. Cause, cause other times it's just simply, Hey, how was that run? How close was I to the wall? And that's a big thing I've noticed is like my, <laughs> my mental, whatever you want to call it, my spatial awareness is like miscalibrated. Mm-hmm. Like I'll do a run and like go by a wall and I'll be like, Oh man, that was sick. I felt like I was going to hit the wall. And then Brian will be like, bro, you were like six feet off. (laughs) And then it's like, Oh shit. Really? Like, man, that felt sick. Like I thought I was going to hit the wall. He's like, you're not even close, dude. Like you didn't even touch the zone. Like, okay. All right. I get it. Okay. So yeah, it's just that sort of thing. Right. And then like, I noticed a huge benefit, like the drift league, um, watching video, of yourself right like for me yeah for some reason like so having brian tell me on the radio like hey you need to go deeper you weren't in that zone hey you weren't in that zone hey you weren't in that zone and then getting out of the car and like taking a break and then watching footage from outside Mm. for me like worked better to make me kind of click and go oh my gosh like i could push so much harder and i still am nowhere near hitting the wall so like don't be scared like push it a little bit Hmm. That's good. I think I so, that too. I don't know, Brian. You have thoughts? I'm trying to even remember all the stuff we talked about or how we kind of did it this weekend or last weekend. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Um, yeah. yeah, it was. Uh, what was I going to say? Getting you to to improve your runs was a lot of uh, you battling to try to push the car harder than you had before. Uh, is what I noticed and getting you to get connect inside clip one to outside zone one. And that remember when we were talking to, I showed you a bit, uh, took a picture of that section of the track and I was drawing on it on what you were doing and what you needed to do. And then we were going through the video, like, I don't know how many times you're winding and forwarding sections just to watch and analyze each part. 
And yes, that was that coming out of that discussion together showed uh, a big enough improvement that you were able to qualify because you weren't quali- you weren't qualifying with all the runs you've done before that. And then after yeah. that, you you got the visualization. You were able to connect what you were doing on the track and what you're looking at, which is really important where you're pointing your eyes, uh, which is something we also discussed. And then you were able to pull off a qualifying run. Yeah. So that, I guess that's kind of an interesting talk too, is like, I mean, I already knew this, but this round really highlighted for me, like your mental game, how important it is, like your confidence, like it can completely change your driving. Like I can go from like, running a line that isn't going to qualify to like being right on the wall with like just a little bit of like, you know, something that like boosts my confidence or like gets me in the right headspace. Cause like, um, Saturday, like by the end of the day practice, I was doing okay. Right. Like Brian, I was at a point where I probably would have been mid pack qualifying. Like I wasn't super on the wall, but I was okay. Um, yeah, your your runs at the end there. of the day Saturday were like significant, but then it was like you did some changes to the car coming in uh, the practice before qualifying, and then that's when we started struggling a little bit to get you back in line again. Yeah. So like Sunday, because that's what happened Saturday. That's the other good thing I'll point out and I'll thank Brian for is Brian is like he takes it seriously, like as a spotter, and like he really does a good job, and he's super proactive. So like, I don't have to like tell him what I expect of him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? He's already putting like all of his effort into it. He's thinking of ways to like, just be super proactive. And also he's super going out of his way to like talk to people. So he's constantly talking to the judges. He was talking to uh, Taka all day Saturday Mm -hmm. and giving me feedback direct from them. And I feel like even Rathina mentioned it. She was like, or the judges mentioned one of the meetings are like, Hey, come talk to us. Like we've had like two or three spotters talk to us all weekend. One of them was Brian. So I think that's a big thing for like, yeah. And like Brian was doing an amazing job of basically hanging out by them and every run being like, Hey, what should you do? Or what do you think he's doing? Or even Taka was giving us, Hey, it looks like your car is doing this, or it looks like you're doing this with a car. And like that stuff helps a lot. And and a question Um, for Brian real quick. So yeah, like, do you think, sorry to cut you off. Um, before I forget it. Brian, do you think it's a, no has something to do with you because you're a driver yourself and these are things that you would expect from somebody who's spotting for you? Uh, yeah, actually. That's pretty much it. The uh, I think the experience from driving helps complement spotting a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not saying that you have to have driving experience to be a spotter, but it helps. Uh, it's more like if you can study drifting and you understand what's happening and what the cars can and can't do, it helps a lot, but I would highly recommend that anybody who wants to do spotting or is spotting now to at least, uh, learn how to drift a car. Now to me, learning how to drift a car is no different than learning how to ride a skateboard. I mean, I think anybody can do it. And if you just give the people, the person, the right tools, the right kind of training just to get their balance and feel how it, how it moves to the left, moves to the right, you're going to be able to drift by the end of the day. And I used to teach drifting at the drift clinic. And so I think that having that basic skill under your belt as a spotter is would behoove you to, to take on as well as studying competition drifting, not just uh, not just uh, uh, like, like party drifting. I mean, party drifting is great. But if you're being a spotter for competition, you got to really take competition watching seriously. 
Yeah, you almost need to like spot runs while you're watching FD, right? Yeah, pretty much. Like you got to know how that driver can improve that run by watching it. Well, it's just like studying the behaviors of everybody's car. I mean, you notice somebody's a little more like a pro drifting. I mean, it's really uh, difficult to find those little particular nuances when you're watching it in live stream because it's way more difficult than being there. Yeah. But if you're uh, like when I'm at all the events I've ever been to, like for for spotting, there's things I pay attention to, like throttle behavior, uh, initiation points, uh, overall speed through the course, because I'll I'll start clocking them. Like when practice starts looking like everybody's looking they're practicing good and i'll start using a stopwatch and start clocking up see how fast through the, the course. course and it kind of gives what? you an, an idea on what the range of drivers are that you're looking at compared to the driver i'm spotting for so that can help him give him the tools he needs to see how he can battle yeah like hey this guy's two, three seconds are to his maximum effectiveness <laughs> yeah so like having being able to tell someone like hey this yeah. guy's three seconds faster yeah. or slower than you around this course just be mindful of that that makes sense too. Yeah, um, and then kind of yeah. getting, kind of getting yeah, back. Yeah, but but the time has to complement the, the the run as well, though. They can't they can run through the course super shallow and have a fast time. Correct. But I'll notate why that time was fast. So it's because sometimes drivers will still do that anyways. They'll barely qualify and then they'll run the course shallow in a competition. And then pro am that you know some drivers do that. That's okay. We're all still learning. But I just want to make sure my driver is aware of how that driver is going to drive. Gotcha. I'm just. Obviously, a good thing. Um, and then to circle back to Alex, earlier you brought up uh, the mental game and how it affects your driving. And something I wanted to add to that was um, I actually went out there a day early for TDL just to go drive my car and like figure out, like have you know, actual tests and tune time with the thing. Um, I did great all day, mm-hmm. like video to prove it. And then Saturday came. People got there and I got nervous. Um, I was fine the day before. I decided I started playing with small setup things. Um, I know you'd mentioned that as well, that you made a change or something like that. Um, And then Sunday Sunday morning, I made it even worse. But luckily, I kept all the data. So I put it back to the way it was on Friday um, in between my two qualifying runs. That's smart. But um, I did want to just bring up the mental game. Um, it, I was only there to go have a good time. Um, but competition, like once people are, because everyone else there, or not everyone else rather, but a lot of people there are very serious. Like they're like, I am here to win. Like that's what they're there for. So, and they're taking it serious. And that kind of can rub off you on, onto someone else in maybe not the, the most positive way. Um, so it kind of like sure. gave me a little bit of pressure. I'm like, shit, man, these guys are here because they want their license. Like I wasn't there for my license. I was there to go drive and have a good time. Um, so I kind of right. got into my own head on that. So I was like, oh, I need to do better then. So as soon as I was like, oh, I need to drive better. So when I started making all kinds of mistakes, <laughs> made the stupid mistake on the car to yep. change it up. I need. Yeah. I just need to try harder. I yeah, need to try harder, and yep. then you start screwing up left yep. and right instead of just having a good time. Um, but you had mentioned that you had made yep. some changes, and also your own getting in your head. If you want to discuss that a little bit as well. Yeah, I 
I like talking about that stuff. I think it's super interesting to me. It's funny because I talk to other drivers and they're like, oh, I don't know, man. I just like, I just like go drive. And I'm like, good for you, dude. Like <laughs> I have to like battle with my you know head and like get right. And like, but some people just have it. Right. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, we, it's funny. Cause I was like feeling semi-confident Saturday and then, you know, Brian had been talking to a couple of people and the consistent thing with me and my driving with the vet was always that like, it doesn't really, or I don't really have a lot of angle. Mm. Um, and that's, that's been a thing I've been trying to like work through recently. Um, and I had always suspected that it was because of the Ackerman setting I was on. Cause I was on the, the max Ackerman setting. Um, so the furthest from parallel steer, mm. um, which I'm no expert, but from what I understand, the more Ackerman you add, the more the car like wants to push through the front tires and kind of wants to like straighten out on throttle, I guess. Um, whereas if you have like par- parallel steer, it's got that like shopping cart, wise pep feel like side to side. We're like, when you get on the gas, it adds angle. Yeah. I've seen some so guys my vet like, wasn't doing that. When I would get on the gas, it would like try to take angle out. If that makes sense. Like from your, so we were like, wheel? all right, well, so, so like, for example, if I like come into a corner and like, you know, you're off throttle and transition, you get to say 40 degrees of angle and you want to pick up the throttle, I would get on the gas and like my old 240 with the wise fab, when you would get on the gas, it would add angle. Right. Mm-hmm. So I could maybe like transition, lift off the gas over transition, get to maybe like 30 degrees of angle, get on the gas and it would add angle pretty much all the way to lock unless I like, you know, tapered it in the steering so the vet does the opposite or was doing the opposite with that setup where when i get on the gas it wants to straighten out right so you have to like actively like turn in to like keep it sliding and like keep it at angle Mm -hmm. because otherwise it just wants to drive through the course super shallow um which sometimes can make it fast but sometimes it also makes it feel like sketchy, like you don't want to go full throttle, right? Mm, okay. And you get in that situation where I'm sure you felt it. Like, you know, when you feel like you, can, you don't have confidence in your car and going full throttle and you're like, kind of like pedaling it. Yep. It sometimes just, yeah, you just don't drive as well. Yeah. That's how I feel on the straightaway. This car does not do anything on the straightaway, but spin tires. Oh, really? Yeah. It's kind of interesting. I went out for a run and then like I hit third and the whole rear end started like moving around and i'm not a uh, faint entry guy oh. i'm a handbrake guy and i was like oh i'm about to go off this mountain <laughs> yep yeah. so yeah that's always fun when you don't mean to and you kind of light them up on the run up yep <laughs> um so what what changes did you make that kind of didn't help you well, so, you know, I made the conscious decision. We all talked about it Sunday morning. We're like, hey, listen, like, the kind of got the line figured out. We need more angle. And I was like, all right, well, I have this theory that I need to uh, reduce Ackerman. And I've been talking about testing this for months, but I've just always been too lazy at, like, local events. I tell myself I'm going to test it. And then once I, you know, get driving and do that, I, like, obviously don't want to stop driving and, like, change it. So... I made the controversial decision where I was like, all right, well, we're here morning before practice at a competition. Let's try that change. So really the, the only major thing I did was uh, um, reduce the Ackerman. So we just changed out the Ackerman washers on the kit. 
you know, realign the car, mm-hmm. set the toe in the front with toe plates, uh, and then went out to drive. And it was a, a very noticeable difference. So the car exhibited much more of that, like, on throttle pulling angle. So it felt better, like, at what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. But the problem was it was driving differently. So I wasn't really confident in it. And then I was having issues where, you know, getting used to the steering. So I would like go out and almost spin out a lap and then, okay, shit, I thought I was good. And now I'm not good. And then I go out and the next one I would understeer and like barely stop before I hit the mountain. Okay, shit. Now I'm all in my head and scared. And then, you know, one of those runs, I locked up the fronts and fucking ran into the mountain. Yeah. Um, at the end of practice. So we pulled out and the guys were awesome. They got the car, you know, looked over everything, you know, do what they need to do. They said, okay, you're good to go. Like get back out there, get another lap. Cause that's my thing too. I've learned recently is like, if I do something like that, I need to immediately go out and drive again. If I stop driving and give myself time to think about it, it's never good. You know, I kind of put that with like, I don't know if you guys like skated or roller, but anything type of action sport when you were kids, but like when you would fall, like you would have to get up and go do it again before you just yep. do it for a long time. I feel the same way with uh, drifting. Yeah, you have to like rip the band-aid off. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a band-aid thing, for sure. Um, but you made, a, you made a comment earlier about being lazy and not testing certain things before going. Uh, is that something that you're not going to do again? I, I say I'm not going to do it again, but I'll probably, let's see, anything hard I have to learn, I have to learn at least three times. So right? we got two more coming. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. So that's how it goes. Uh, but I, I was glad I had like zero car troubles because I put like a massive amount of time into like prepping my car. Um, Good. But, but when you were talking about being lazy, I was on the verge of not doing any of that. Because I was being lazy too, <laughs> but I'm glad I did. Because a lot of people had like a lot of car issues, like stupid little gremlins too. Um, yeah, like a lot of people that overlook. Did you guys have any car issues other than what hitting the dirt? Self-induced. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing that wasn't my fault. Like honestly, that vet has been rock solid, reliable. I've been drifting it for almost two years now. Um. Okay, so the only actually let's talk about that. The only issue I've had, I had at LS Fest first, was the factory LSD started to unlock. Oh, um, so it was like basically turning into an open diff. Uh-huh. Um, but we just changed the fluid and used like the factory GM fluid with their friction modifier, and mm-hmm. it fixed it. Um, and then at the Drift League, I was having some understeering issues, and we were debating. We're like, "Oh shit, is it diff unlocking? Is it just my driving? Because I'm scared of the mountain." Um, but I think that's what it was. Cause once I got more comfortable, I didn't have any issues with the diff locking. So that's another thing too. I don't know if you've ever experienced, but like half the time I think something's wrong with the car. And then I find out that it's just my driving. Yep. You and I have so. the same, uh, the C6 and the, uh, CTSV share the same like clutch packs. So I have the same LSD. Oh, really? Basically. Yeah. Technically yours is like an upgraded version. Has yours. Okay. I haven't had Has yours ever unlocked like that in the middle of a drift event? If I'm not on throttle, it's done that. Like if I'm like yeah. well, fair too enough. low on throttle, like one tire will grab. But if I'm yep. like on throttle with correct throttle input, it's fine. 
I do. Yeah. I, I think that might be kind of how mine is too. Like if you're like feathering it or like pedaling, mm-hmm. sometimes it gets weird. Yep. But if you're just foot to the floor, it seems fine. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I can say I know for sure about that. I But I do, I would say I do like the LSD infinitely more than I liked a welded diff setup personally. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how, I know other people are like always about like, you know, a spool or a welded diff, but I do like the LSD. Just cost extra. Yeah. And it's another maintenance item. It's another thing that could fail and ruin your weekend if it opens up, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, I'm kind of with you. Like, I like, I think I like the LSD. That's the funny thing, too, is I try to like compare it to my 240, but it's like, bro, there was like a year gap. Like, I haven't driven that thing in years, so it's, like, hard for me to remember what it felt like. But I might actually put a spool in this car. Or, or I guess it's really, like, a just, like, a little locker that replaces the clutch packs and is reversible. But I'm probably going to do that soon as well as a final drive change because I'm consistently stuck in between gears of this car. The, the final drive is so long from the factory. What is your final drive? It's a 342. Ew. On a T56, that's... That's not fun. What do you, so uh, I actually have the TR6060. Oh. Um, the 08 was the first year with the LS3 and the TR6060. That's why I bought that year. Now, now I'm curious of what the... But, uh, yeah, it does like 62 miles an hour in first. Okay, that's that's a bit much. Uh, what, are you, what are you looking to go towards? Um, Probably a 410. I don't know. I'm still debating. Like I, I mapped everything out with a gear calculator and my tire diameter. And like, even with a 410, my fourth gear will still do 120 miles an hour. So I figure like, I don't know, most courses I'll ever run into, like your initiation will be max 80, 90 miles an hour. Right. So that would still give me at least 30 miles an hour wheel speed in, in fourth. And yeah. then I'd have a nice spacing for, you know, third and second. I, I probably might have to start launching in second. I don't know. We'd have to see how short first was, but that's the plan at least. Yeah. The, and they make um, the gear setups for that diff, right? Like you don't have to go quick change and all that, right? No, not at all. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's, it's the same as like any other diff, right? It's like four, 500 bucks for a, a new ring opinion. Definitely not like any other diff. <laughs> we, I can't change anything. No. Yeah, I, my options are really? 73 and 391 or 323. Okay. That's, that's about it. I'm surprised so. they don't have an aftermarket ring and pinion. You know, uh, I kind of was too because this diff came in like, it came in this car, it came in like the SUV version of the car, like the SR, is it the SRX? Yeah, the SRX. And then it also came in like the uh, Saturn Skies and Pontiac Solstice things. So, okay, comes in various models, but the only thing they ever came with was like the 391, the 373, and then the lower 323 gears, or the longer, rather. Gotcha. Yeah. So, those are those are the options I get until I do the uh, the Ford 8.8 conversion. That'd be sweet. That'll be super strong. Then you can put whatever gear uh, ratio you want. In there. Yeah, they make and they're like dirt cheap too to put anything in it. It's like. 150 bucks, 200 bucks, like from Ford for their gear sets. 
So can't can't be yeah. Um just talk about your uh your top sixteen battle. All three of them. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, all of them. Hey man, I am at least happy that I got like a full events worth of tandem in. You really did. <laughs> you, you, even, you, even if it was technically only bad one battle. Like, let's say you made it technically if it was um, uh you would have went all the way to the final four if it was other drivers. I know, right? Yeah. Because uh, that's like my thing right now is like I'm not super hell bent. My goal is to get a pro specs license. Like I, I just want to be a better driver at this point. Yeah. So I love the fact that I was able to get multiple battles under pressure against arguably one of the best drivers there. Like 100%. I was like, perfect. This mm-hmm. is this is the training situation like that I want. Um, you made but yeah, that, that's a funny thing. Comes back to the mental game. Like going into qualifying, I was like. I drove like shit, frankly, through qualifying. Mm-hmm. I was scared. Like, cause I hit the mountain. We fixed the car, tried to go back out for another lap and they closed practice. Yeah. So I went from hitting the mountain to my first qualifying lap. Yeah. I remember when they called you, you're like, I didn't get any practice. When they called you at 16, you're like, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, whatever it counts. Yep. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was just super conservative. Like, I was scared of hitting the wall. I was just kind of pussyfooting through it. Like, but hey, whatever. I got it. And it was like by the skin of my teeth, right? Because they said I uh, tied my score with another driver. And like, they had to go to like, I think it was like line score or something to like break the tie. Yeah. So it was super close. Yeah. Yeah. They judged like F. So, but, uh, yeah, it was like something as a tiebreaker. Um, from one of the like, yeah, line your line points or something being higher. Yeah, but yeah, so that went okay. And then actually, it's kind of funny. I totally thought that this was a double elimination event, and I don't know why. Like my whole team, everybody, we were all like thinking it was like a double elimination, like other shootouts. Oh. So like when we went into the battles, I was like, uh, whatever, like. You know, I'll just do what I can. We'll see how it goes. And like, either way, I know I'm going to get at least two tandem battles for, for like my money and time to come out of here. Yeah. So that's what was in my mind, like in that top 16 battle or that battle with Sean. So I think like that helped like take the weight off me and the pressure and help me kind of relax mm-hmm. and actually, you know, drive more like what I was capable of versus, you know, being all scared and driving like shit right, yeah. right before qualifying. Yeah, everyone gets. So uh, it was a good thing I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you would have known sooner, it might have been worse. But yeah, I might what, not have done as well. What would you say that? Can um, I say something about that real quick? Of course. The it, it's almost like a Twilight Zone moment when we all looked at each other and we all realized when I came back and Chris all told me that no, this is a single elimination. When I was asking where the losers bracket was. <laughs> We came into this event 100% convinced that this was a double elimination and never questioned it so much. We were so focused on it that our minds literally did not let us see the word single competition that was written everywhere. On the brackets, on the signage, and and we, we were still baffled by that. Like We were unable to see that. 
or, or understand that. And it just wasn't talked about because everybody else knew it was a single elimination but us. Yeah. So the shock I got when uh, I went up to Chris and he told me that, I completely stopped my conversation with him and told him thank you because I realized that, that he would never bullshit me and something is up. And that, yeah, so that's, that's what it turned oh, I'm glad you didn't a, tell me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I was like, okay, well, well let's, let's let this happen. That's funny. But, uh, no, it was uh, it was it was a blessing in disguise. Uh, even though everybody was doing an amazing job for a crew, and Alex was doing an amazing job driving, it was like an unreal thing to to just that never come into play in the conversation at all about learning that as a single when we got there. Yeah, I it's had confirmation a, bias, right? We we assumed that it was double elimination, so that's that's all yeah. we saw. I thought yeah. so too. I'm just saying because all of us are really sharp, but it's just for whatever reason this got by all of us. You know, that's yeah, what's yeah, so baffling yeah. no, about it. It's it's fair because when you hear shootout, you you just you automatically think double elimination because from my understanding, those are the rules of the shootout. I thought yeah. so too, and then I remember exactly. last year, Just Drift did their quote unquote shootout, and it's basically a single round of pro am is really what it is as opposed to a double elimination set. Gotcha. Um, but actually, yeah, I just drifted it last year, and I remember Kevin Wells was there, because from my understanding, somebody from FD has to be there. Or whatever. Oh, really? If From my understanding, I don't know if anybody... Um, did you guys do the Vegas one? Did, no. Dude, they were all so close together like this yeah. year. Like I totally would have ran that as well as the one in Texas they just had, but everything was like back to back to back. Yeah, in May, three of them in May. That's ridiculous. I know I had it paid for. Well, too. yeah, and then I did LS Fest too. Yeah. So it was like LS Fest, Vegas, Drift League, Texas. Like, yeah, I just couldn't swing it. Yeah, I know. I actually paid for um, Vegas Drift last year, like around this time when they announced it, and I was like, oh, okay, for it. I had the money in my account. And then by the time, like, the uh, rescheduled date finally came, like, my seat was out of um, no longer certified because it, it, it expired last year, so I had to get a new seat. Like, I wasn't ready for all that. So I ended up just canceling. Yeah. Um, I didn't get my money back, but he's like, I was like, can I at least go drive other events there? He's like, yeah, I'm cool with that. So that was cool. Um, oh, so at least they'll give you credit. Yeah, exactly. Like, don't get me wrong. I still got to drive four hours to get there, you know, to a whole other state. But it's it's better than not having anything. You know what I mean? Uh, yep, absolutely. But yeah, I wasn't ready. And I really wanted to go to that one, too, because that, that course looks super fun. And then my buddy, um, you guys might know him, Sean Murtha. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, he was out there, too. And then we were supposed to go out there together, but that... They completely shit the bed when they moved it to like a certain date that I just couldn't manage, like as far as like financially. Yeah. Uh, but you mentioned um, some crew earlier. Something I kind of want to go over with a little bit of a pro am thing because, for instance, myself, I don't have crew. Um, I had Rico there. I don't know if you guys know Rico. He's actually um, my wheel sponsor and like a really good friend. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That's what I had. And my son was there. Um, 
that's what I had. And I think I had RJ kind of helping me with spotting a little bit just because he happened to be there. And yeah. outside of that, like there's no, there's no crew. So I want to talk about like, what is your crew setup like? Um, and then what kind of duties does your crew have and are they doing it like they know what to do or are you having to like direct them a lot? Sure. Sure. So, um, I, I've had all okay. sorts of different situations, right? Like I ran events in 2018 by 240 where I was there completely alone. So yeah. I ran my own hot pits and had no spotter and did all that. And I can tell you it sucks. Like I did not drive well my the entire time like my head is just you know what i mean it's not a good environment um you need people or at least i do i need people to support me like i need a team um even just for like the social benefit of like feeling like someone's got your back people someone's are there your you're not yeah. alone you know what i mean yeah um so the current team i have is phenomenal i don't really have to tell them what to do right so I've got, you know, my wife is amazing, super supportive. She like helps and covers like a lot of the media, um, takes videos, like even videos that like I will use like with Brian, like for spotting stuff. Um, And she does a lot of the social media, especially when we're at events like that. So like all my stories and like the posts throughout the day, like she's handling all that for me, Um, which is super important. So I'm super grateful that she does that. Um, And then Obviously, Brian is spotter, super, super helpful. Like I said, super proactive. I don't have to tell him like, hey, man, I need you to time the runs and tell me. Like he knows. Like he comes up with stuff that he says to me like that I wouldn't have thought of, right? Yeah. And he's spotted for multiple people in the past. Like he has experience. He knows what he's doing. Exactly. That's super useful. Um, and then for the rest of the crew, I kind of had an experience last year where I was like, you know what? Like I can't necessarily people can't necessarily guarantee at this level to be at every single round. So I want a little bit of like, almost like a buffer. So I actually have like, you know, two people kind of slated as mechanics, my friend JJ and then my friend Austin. So like at any given round throughout the year, chances are pretty good that at least one of them can come. Um, Like this weekend at the drift league, they were both able to come. So I brought both of them, but they're both drifters. They both built their own cars. Mm-hmm. They're both super knowledgeable guys. So I don't really need to like tell them what to do. Like they, they kind of know the drill, right? You know, they'll ask me questions like, Hey man, how's it feeling? Do you need, do you want to change tire pressures? You know, do you, do you need to do any shock adjustments? Like how how's the car feel? That sort of thing. But outside of that, like they're phenomenal, right? Like literally when we show up to the event, it was like, okay, Alex, go get your suit on and get to the driver's meeting they unloaded the car. They unloaded all the tires and tools and like put them all in the truck and unhooked the truck from the trailer and set it up for the hot pits. And like, they took care of everything without me having to like train them or tell them what to do. And I think that's like the ideal situation, right? Because then I can literally focus on driving. Cause the other thing is I feel like you just get exhausted, right? Like if as a driver, you have to do all this other stuff yourself, it is you know, exhausting. all the packing like alone, mm-hmm. like it's so exhausting. And then by the time you like, same, even with like the drive up there, like having the ability to be like, you know what? I'm kind of tired. Like, do you, does someone want to drive for a couple hours? Yep. Like stuff like that is like priceless. 
Like it's so helpful. So I'm super thankful for, for everybody on the team makes a big difference. Cause like this was the first real event that like I could legitimately like think about or focus on driving. And I've never really had that before. It was always like, Oh shit, I'm in a hurry. I got to go do this. I got to go change my own tires and run back and I jump in the car. You're just like flustered the whole time running around. Like, so it makes a big difference. Yeah. And then even, even getting lunch can be a mess. Something as simple as just eating. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I get it. Yeah, exactly. Like having my wife be like, Hey, come eat lunch. And then I walk over there and like, there's already a sandwich or, you know what I mean? Or like, it's like, Oh dude, this is amazing. I think my sandwich maker is broken. I need to get it fixed. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, sorry. Well, we, uh, we went with some, uh, pre-made stuff this round. We, uh, had a bunch of uncrustables. Yeah. We were paid with crustables. It was pretty dude, nice. Yeah. I got, yeah. I got, I got a few of those from my kid cause I, he was with me all weekend. And then I just got like those, um, I find my grocery stores are like pre-made salads because I don't like eating heavy when I'm at the track because then I mm-hmm. feel like dirt. And if you feel like dirt and you're yeah. trying to drive with like after eating, you know, a full, like half of a pizza or burgers and fries and, you know, an extra large Coke, you don't feel you're great. You don't feel the best. So I try to eat kind of healthy when I'm at the track. No. Um, but the Uncrustables <laughs> are God's gift to racetracks. Those yep. things are shit. I love this thing. <laughs> What's funny, because like, I know they're terrible for you, but yes. <laughs> like, for some reason they're just like super delicious. Yep, yep exactly. They're, they're, they're God's sandwich, as far as I'm concerned. Um, mm-hmm. But how long did it take, how long would you say it took you to kind of like establish these like relationships that you have with your crew in order to get them to be, to come out there with you? Because under my assumption, like, they're not being paid assume this is an assumption of course like let's just say they're not no. being paid so like they're not being paid yeah um i do and this comes from i think my time crewing is you know i i i've crewed for a couple people and i crewed for a pro pro two team and i decided that i wanted to try and cover as much as i could so <clears throat> like i just provide like like I pay for their accommodations and food like as best I can. Right. So I don't, I don't pay a wage or anything like that, but I just try and take care of whoever's coming to help me. Yeah. It's the least I can do. I would love to pay them, but yeah. I'm saying, <laughs> that's that's the biggest reason. Like I don't have crews. We'll, we'll get there. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Same here. But that's the biggest reason. Like I don't have, yeah. it's like, I don't have those, those type of relationships with, you know, a lot of people, um, at least locally, you know, like I don't have other friends mm-hmm. that I'm close to that are, that are into drifting and my, my friends sure. that aren't into drifting have no desire to come to a hot racetrack all day and change tires. And then no, it's miserable. Yeah. Exactly. Like if you don't absolutely love this shit, it sounds terrible to you. You're like, bro, you want me to do what? Yeah. You want is. me to come out there, pay my own way, stand in the sun, get covered in fucking tire debris. Yes. Like, no, yeah, it's, it sounds terrible. Pretty please. <laughs> Basically, what you're asking. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh. It's so, funny. yeah, I mean, as far as like the relationships, like I don't know, like a lot of these people I've known for three, four, or more years, you know, like Brian and I actually have really only started to get to know each other. Probably, I don't know. What do you think, Brian? Like six, eight months. 
Yeah, I think we actually first started talking uh, Apocalypse Party. Yeah. That was, that's about the earliest I can recall. Yeah, so <laughs> it's funny, actually. Like, uh, we were at a party at, you know, Paco's house, and he was, like, drunkenly, like, badgering me in the corner. He's like, you need to have Brian spot for you next year. He's the best I've ever seen. <laughs> like, you should really do it. I'm serious, man. And he's all drunk. So he's, like, going over and over and over about it. And I was like, okay, all right, man. Like, I'm down. Let's talk about it. Um, but yeah, once again, like our relationship came from good relationships I have with other people in the local scene. Yeah. So but that's okay. It's just I think going to events and meeting people, right? Like you gotta think like in the Arizona drifting scene, I've gone to probably for eight or ten years, I've gone to almost, you know, I'd say on the low end, ten events a year. Okay. And that's your so local. Just, it happens. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys have any tracks out there? I don't know Arizona at all, so forgive me if that's a stupid question. Are no, you guys no, no. Doing parking we, have, we have a couple different tracks. Okay. We've got several, actually. Not all of them allow drifting, obviously, but we've got the main track in Phoenix is uh, called Wild Horse Pass Motorsports Park. Used to be called Firebird International Raceway. Mm-hmm. Um, changed over a couple of years ago. That's where like our monthly, they have monthly drift and drags where it's just total grassroots. You show up, they're on the same track every month and you just tech, get in line. You can drive or do tandem if you have a cage, Um, but it's always the same track. Um, And there's multiple other tracks there that sometimes they'll do events on like the road course and stuff, but those are maybe like once a year. And then we have a Musselman circuit down in Tucson, which is like maybe like two hours south of us. Um, which is an awesome cart track. I don't know if you saw, they've done, uh, they've gone to it on drift week, like once or twice. Um, but that's a super fun track. And then recently some of the guys got to drift. There's like a circle track, like a speedway bank track. Mm -hmm. Um, but they haven't started doing events there yet, but I'm hoping we'll start getting events there. How how big is the circle track? They're saying it's almost the same angle. The bank is almost the same angle as Irondale. It's like a mini Irondale. Just going to ask you about that. Yeah. Um, are you wait? Yeah, it looks right. intense. Are you guys coming to the second TDL in October? You bet it. Did you go look at the other tracks? Driving. We did before we left on Sunday. Okay, we drove cool. over there and walked out on the track and like walked the whole track and looked at it. Yeah, it's 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 a pretty cool track. Um, I've never driven it. I've always wanted to, just because uh, it does give you that like mini Irwindale feel. Depending on the layout, mm-hmm. of course. It seemed like the banking was really shallow. <laughs> like it wasn't very steep at all. It's not. I don't think you need to do any crazy adjustment to your car to drift the, the bank that they have and that oval. You pretty much, the way you're set up in balcony, you probably run it the same way there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like an intro bank. Yeah. It's, it's not really a bank. Like your car will roll down. Don't get me wrong if you like leave it in neutral. But, you know, it's not. It's definitely yeah, not I guess that's window. what qualifies as a bank. If it could roll down. <laughs> yeah, that's basically got a slight yeah. incline. Yeah, a slight incline. It's I think my driveway's steeper, but um it's definitely not Irwindale, that's for sure. Uh Brian, you've been no. in Irwindale before, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. So it, it was, oh well, yeah, it was a long time ago. I was in uh three fifty Z it was in two thousand eight. Yeah. Unless they change, unless they change your window, uh, no, it's no. I ran the the same layout that the pros 
in a stock. Just ran. It was my first time there, and that was pretty fucking scary. Excuse I, me, I don't mean to curse. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. This is, <laughs> was pretty scary. This show is not for kids. I uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I was able to drive my car off the track and put it on the trailer at least, so I, was, I felt like that was a win. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, you didn't have to get it um, winched onto the trailer because I've done that there, and that's not fun. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's a win. Anytime you can drive it onto the trailer. Yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Uh, this thing, like, I, if I, because my car's behind me, like, if I wanted to get into it and go drive it right now, I can. And this is, I've never, ever had that. I've always broken something. Whether it's a fucking, you know, yeah. it's an alternator, a power steering pump, or, you know, a control arm or something. Something always comes back broken, but this time everything came back just the way it left. So, with the exception of my front bumper, which I can get over. Did you did you blast it on some cones, or what happened to it? Um, well, it was Friday when I, when I went out there. My son told me that it was kind of like moving around. And then when I initiated, my front wheel grabbed it and then pulled it under the car. Ah. Yeah. I, I think like, I saw that. Yeah. And then it munched it and you basically yeah, <laughs> it scraped was, it along the ground throughout it, the entire course. Yep. And it's like stuck underneath the car. So it has like a big hole in one of the corners. So I was like, so it's just melted plastic now. That's why the white bumper's on. That's right. Which was not planned. I had to get um, yeah. Rico actually to bring it up to me because he came up the day after I went up. He was like, I'll bring it. I was like, cool, because I don't want to run around with a front, without a front bumper on this thing because it looks kind of weird. Yeah. Um, so are you planning on driving the second event as well? 100%. I think I figured out the front steer. Well, Hell I yeah. figured out a Band-Aid solution to my front steering issue. Um, what was you thinking? Right now, so like I think you have a similar setup, I assume. Um, in the front lower control arms, uh, there's like slots where you can get, you know, get your alignment kind of where you want it. You know, obviously for a stock mm -hmm. car. I was going to Dremel it out a little bit more so I can get some more camber, but I definitely need to raise the vehicle because uh, if my car's at full lock, I can probably barely get my knuckle in there before you can fill it uh to hit anything so basically if i'm at full lock and that spring compresses or you know that whole corner compresses it's gonna grab it touches the wheel well yeah and that's what's spinning me out so right now i'm thinking about raising the front about an inch and then moving dremeling those those little slots out a little bit more so i can get the correct camber because i'm also riding on the sidewall of my tire which hasn't been you know gotcha hasn't bothered me enough. Like you can see, you can clearly see it on the tire. Um, but I haven't felt it like do anything bad. The only part that I would say I don't like about the steering is when it's grabbing the wheel well and causing an issue or it's grabbing the inside of the frame rail. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a huge, honestly, I see that a lot on grassroots cars where like they just slap an angle kit or a knuckle on and they don't mm -hmm. check their clearances, especially through like the travel, the suspension. Yep. Um, so that's a super common problem I see. It's so, my fault. Yeah, I think you're on the right path, right? So, you know, raise Fingers it crossed. up, try and get it to not hit. Is it hitting um, on like the frame rail area or is it just up above? It's touching the wheel well. 
D, all of the above. It's all the above? Yeah. Okay, well then in that case, raising it isn't necessarily going to fix all of your problem, right? Because it's no, that's what I'm saying. still if steering I, enough to where it's going to touch the frame rail. Yeah, that's why I'm hoping that pushing it out just a little bit more might help. But we're going to see. If, if it comes up, yeah, if it comes down yeah, to like yeah, yeah. me raising it and then putting like a, an angle stopper of some sort to get the wheel to, you know, not exceed a certain degree of angle, then that's what it'll have to be. But it also could be like a simple... That would like be my a, first recommendation. A poor toe setting. So, even though I was only like a, running it anywhere from like an eighth to a quarter of an inch out. Yeah, I mean... It, <sighs> toe will only change that a tiny bit, right? Like, yeah. if it's hitting... You're on, a, you're on the right track though, right? You can add track width Correct. by extending the, the wheel farther out. And that'll clear if it's hitting on, on diameter of the tire, right? Mm-hmm. So if like if you look at where it's hitting and it's hitting like on the edge of the curve of the tire, then yeah, if you space it out, space it out and increase track width, that'll obviously space that out and you'll you'll get clearance there. If it's hitting like the wheel rim on like a control arm or something like that, then track width isn't gonna help. And and also um, I think too is like so, the over centering issue because I'm running a rather large spacer on the front. Um so, which okay. kind of helped with the clearance, but now it kind of just moved the clearance. Whereas before, I wasn't hitting the wheel well because the at full lock, the wheel's not that far out. So, this is the best way to. I don't know. I'd have. Right. I can't explain it. Right. So before the inside of the rim was hitting the control arm, you put a huge spacer on, and now mm-hmm. the wheel is hitting, or the, the tire is hitting the wheel well on the outside. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I think, honestly, dude, even the way I think about it is like getting a lock stop, a reliable lock stop on the suspension to where you can be confident that it's not going to rub. Even if it means you give up like five degrees of angle, I think is super critical because that gives you that confidence to drive the car and go from lock to lock on throttle and not have to worry about it like grabbing and spinning you out. Yep. And you and I are in the same boat. Like I already have limited... Um, lock anyways so like me pulling that five degrees out can be like super crucial when it comes to like a judging yeah. aspect if they're like oh you're not throwing enough angle i'm like i'm throwing all i got like <laughs> that makes sense. right so what what control arms are you stock lower control arms yeah i i just basically have some cut knuckles that uh drift knuckles made me okay gotcha I mean, okay work I'm not mad at the knuckle. Do you have plans to like have any arms fabricated or anything? Uh, yeah, I actually own um, a suspension company. That's my side project. So, like, I make all the oh, control cool. arms and like the t- like all the adjustable stuff in the rear is mine. And then my next bit mm-hmm. is to start making the front stuff as well. But I, I kind of have to make mine universal because I'm like one of eight people who drift one of these things that I know of in the country. <laughs> um, right. So, so it's got to be market to like the uh, all the guys who want to make this thing a drag car for whatever reason beats me. But mm. I have another one actually. Um, I just got a base model version of this car, so it's got a six cylinder in it. Uh, I took it up the canyon last night. Like these things are so fun to drive. I don't understand why somebody would want to go in a straight line on this thing. But. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, we're drifters, right? So we we look down on the straight line people. Like, what are you doing? 
uh, as they look down, as they look down on us. They're like, "How'd you win? Yeah. You didn't go. You didn't cross first. Uh, yep, that's the favorite thing. What is this? Figure skating? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Yes. Sure yes. Tell you something. Yes. I'll tell you something about that though. Uh, everybody likes to talk about drifting that way until they go for a ride with somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah, I can't recall like one time ever somebody still hating drifting after riding with a really good driver in a good car. Coming from race drivers, you know, like grip drivers, yeah, uh, drag racers, you name it. Just having that, that they all end up liking it because then they understand. You just you kind of have to experience it to really appreciate it. That's fair. Yeah, that is fair. How did actually just that's kind of the cool thing at our local events because they have combined drift and drag. So like all the drag guys pit next to us oh really so there is kind of of like yeah like you know what i mean so like here at irwindale they used to have occasion so every thursday they have their their track their eighth mile open but occasionally they would have a um a thursday night drift event which is usually hosted by like fd and i think even um tdl hosted it one time and like I don't know if you guys ever been to Irwindale. Well, when they're done with their their eighth mile race, they have to go all the way around the oval, but they have to pass through like the drifting pits, and that's like the closest thing we've had to like oh. them being in the same area. <laughs> they're like, "You're in my way. I gotta get back." That's that's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> but if they, I wish they would kind of like have us closer. I think it would kind of, I don't know, maybe get more people to gravitate towards the. Um, the oval track as opposed to you know the the drag strip that's there because it is a pretty yeah. far walk if you decide like oh, i want to go to the other one and then you're like uh no i don't it's like a half mile walk at least it feels like it um mm-hmm. one thing i want to ask you guys is actually start with alex same question for brian as well so what is your history with drifting like how did you get into drifting Sure. Um, I basically, I'm just gonna say video games. So, like, I actually really didn't, I didn't care about cars at all growing up. Like, ironically, my dad and my older brothers were into it. Like, my older brother had a Fox body when he was in high school. Mm-hmm. He would like drag race and explains the 302. Ironically, he would basically drift it. He would basically street drift it, right? He would go out and burn out and do whip around corners and do J turns and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, I just wanted nothing to do with it until I was like early twenties. And then like a buddy of mine got me to start playing Forza. And then I bought uh dirt and like got super into rally. And I was like, Oh, this is so cool. And then I like realized, Oh, you, people can go do this. So at first I was going to like go do stage rally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I bought, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of it or play games, but there was this game, uh, grid that came out on Xbox like all these years ago and it had like a drifting part in it and it had a bunch of like D1GP cars in it. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my first introduction to it. And then from there I learned about formula drift and got into all that. And then I basically decided like, Oh wow, this is way cooler and way cheaper than stage rally. Right. Like I can get started with a $1,500 car. I don't need to go get a roll cage and a log book and all this stuff and spend eight, 10 grand and then drive somewhere for a rally. Yeah. Whereas, like, there was a local track, like, down the road, like, 15 minutes down the road at Wild Horse. And then monthly drift events for, it was, like, 60 bucks or whatever. That's not bad. 
So yeah, I went and bought a 240 for like whatever it was, 1200 bucks at the time. I sold a bunch of stuff. I remember like, I didn't have the money, right? Like I was working as a server and like barely made any money. So I sold like DVDs. I sold my Xbox and TV and like sold all this stuff to get like a grand together and go buy this thing. And I didn't even know how to drive stick. So I actually had to have my brother drive it home for me. I love stories like that. uh, Yeah, it was, I don't know why, but I just was like, man, I'm going to go do that. That sounds like fun. Yeah, but so it just made it happen. It kind of like separates. I, I think it's more of like a personality trait thing more than anything. But it kind of separates like people from like the doers and then the people who just like talk about doing things. You know what I mean? It's like you made it happen. Like you yeah. sacrifice. It, not. It's not. You didn't fucking cut your leg off for this, but you were like, all right, I'm gonna sell this, this, and this to make <laughs> this happen. Like you know, you chose. Yep. I don't know. I, I think it's a good thing. I think it kind of shows like, uh, like you're still a doer and you'll do what, what you got to do to get it. Not everyone's yeah. like that. And that's no, no. Well, and that happens a lot, right? With like, yeah. Oh, I want to do it. And like, sometimes I have people who are like, Oh, I want to get into drifting. And I'm like, like I'll start talking to them. I'm like, all right, we'll go do this and this and this. And I'm like, Oh, and it's a lot of work by the way. And like, it's going to be really expensive. And you know, sometimes you can just tell they're like, I don't know. I don't think this is for them. Yeah. You, you've got to be set. You got like, your mind has to be made up, but that can go for anything. It could be like yeah. getting on, as simple as getting on a roller coaster. Like I'm going to get on this roller coaster today as opposed to like, yeah, I'm going to do it someday. I mean, if you're not a fan of roller coasters, I know it's a poor analogy, but it's what I got. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what about you, Brian? Yeah, well, and it, I guess it depends too what you're trying to do with it. Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, no. I was just going to say, like, you could, like, for the first five years I drifted, I had a stock KA with stock suspension and, like, cut knuckles and, like, you know what I mean? Like, one set of tires would last me, like, two events. So it was like I would spend a couple hundred bucks a month, like, 250 bucks a month drift. So, depending on what you want, you want out of it, it can be pretty cheap, but. Yeah, that's unsettling. And then, by the way, apologize for cutting you off so much today. Uh, you and Brian, it's been a while, and it's normally just me and one other person. So I'm like trying to like balance like where do I bring this other guest into? So I do have that. I am struggling with that today. So I do apologize if I cut you guys off a few times. No worries. I'm actually still getting used to the delay. Like, cause I'm not used to like, this is the first time I've ever done this. And there is like a little bit of a delay. So you like start to say something and like somebody already said something. And so it's a little, it's like totally different than a face-to-face conversation. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, cause internet do be lacking sometimes. So, but mm-hmm. back, so anyway, good, man, Brian. I'm, going, I'm just going with the flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you were on another podcast and you're much better than I am at this. So I'm going to let you go ahead and. Tell me how you got into drifting, actually. Because I don't think I actually ever heard the whole Brian's story of, you know, introduction to drifting. I'm not going to give you the whole story. Well, I'm going to tell don't... you that right now. That's, <laughs> that's a little too is, long. Is it? Oh, the cliff, okay. Give us the cliff notes. Yeah, give, yeah exactly. So, um, I don't know. It depends on how far back you want to go. Like, are you talking about, like, uh, like when I started drifting the Miata or before that? Didn't know you had a Miata. I was talking about, like, how'd you find drifting? Okay, yeah, okay. So, how did I find drifting? I was a student at Universal Technical Institute here in, uh, excuse me, here in Phoenix. Okay. 
And uh, this was back in the old campus when it used to be off of like uh, Indian School and 23rd Avenue, like near the I-17 there. Those who know, knows there's a good reason that school isn't there anymore. So I uh, was going in between classes and the majority of the students there were guys. There's like there's like 99% male and uh, some girls were there too. But um, a lot of majority of the students were from out of state. I didn't understand that, but they, the way that they operate their schools, they bring in a lot of people from Hawaii, from California, from uh, the East Coast, and even Alaska, and then they all come together here. I think some came from, from Mexico. Anyways, uh, so a lot of that got to meet a lot of different people from different parts of the states, and they kind of brought what they are into with cars with them. Mm -hmm. So one day I was walking by uh, some of the classrooms in between classes, and the doors into the classrooms have this huge window and you can look through. It's almost like a, like a kind of like a double door, like uh, like for a major office kind of thing. It just kind of like pressure swings open sometimes. So I was walking by and I noticed that the room was dark and there was something playing on the TV. So I peeked through the window to see what it was just in time to see a chain of cars, a train is running down the street sideways and sliding around. And I was just like, what? is that so i went into the class i sat in the back and i just kept watching with them until they had to start class and i was late to my other class but yeah. i made sure to find out what it was that i saw and where can i see more of it and that began my journey of uh hunting down option dvds or option vhs's back then uh best mortaring vhs you know anything i could find that was going to show me more of what i saw and it just went nuts from there I actually one of the students there uh was uh we got to talking because he was very into drifting as well mm. and he actually knows how to drift very very well on gran turismo 4. so i was desperate to learn i was like please teach me the ways and and i became buddies with him and he started you know feeding me a, a vhs here or a dvd there just uh, allowing me to buy off of his old ones or he because he can get them whenever he wants basically because of his connections which was kind of hard to do at least from where I came from, I, I was very green to any of that stuff. So I felt very privileged to be able to have somebody that could you know, share this with me and uh, allow me to start learning more about it. And that, that began the whole spiral of uh, just wanting to pursue drifting and uh, uh, never stopped. <laughs> That's your, your story is infinitely better than mine. Mine's very big. I saw it on Discovery <laughs> Channel. I remember I saw Von Gittin no, Jr. Everybody and Chris has great Gordon. stories. And then uh, I don't know who it was. There was. I don't know if it was Team Orange because I don't know. But I do remember three orange cars drifting around a fire hydrant and some yellow poles. Um, that was kind of like my introduction to drifting. And then Tokyo Drift came out like, I don't know. A couple months later, and I was like, "This is sick." And then, like, oh yeah, Tokyo my drift. Yeah, my first car. One. My first car was like, uh, it is a '91 Honda Prelude, and I ripped the e-brake around a corner from my house, and I smacked into a 500. <laughs> <laughs> and then I didn't. That's awesome. And no. then I did nothing with drifting again until 2015, <laughs> until I went to my first FD event in uh, Long Beach. Oh. That's been all downhill from there. Uh, actually, you brought up... Um, I almost said Grand Theft Auto. Uh, Grand Turismo. And him, your friend, 
playing on Grand Turismo. Yeah. Is was that your introduction to sim stuff? Is that where you started? Um, I've been uh, no, I've been using like the Logitech steering wheels back when they were like the best wheel out. Uh, this was before the G wheels. It was like a Driving Force Pro, mm-hmm. and it had the little. Um, well, I had the one that was the basic one with the paddles on it, gas brake, and then they came out with one that could do 900 degrees, but it had a little like a sequential shifter on the side that was built into the wheelbase, but it still was only gas brake. And that's what I had for uh, Gran Turismo. Oh. And uh, that's what he used as well. Uh, I think his name was Kim, like Kim Dong, I think was his name. But a uh, super cool guy. And uh, yeah, he made a drifting an 886 look like butter, like right out of initial D. I was just absolutely mindful that somebody could do that on Gran Turismo. And I never really picked it up as good as he did, but I was adamant to learn how to do it with the wheel. I was like fixated on trying to master all these different racing games, driving games with the wheel on PlayStation 2. Like Column Cray Rally 3, Toka Race Driver 2, Need for Speed, all of them, Underground, you name them. And there's a code on that wheel. like Because like not all the games are have the 900 ability only like certain games did like gran turismo where the wheel would automatically unlock because it knows but there's a trick i learned now that's a really cool story how i learned this trick i'll tell that later but um if you hold down like two buttons uh, like, like i think it was like start and l2 or something like that at the same time the the lock releases and it's full 900 no matter what you're playing so and it didn't it didn't respond like force feedback wasn't really that great at all so you kind of had to anticipate what the force feedback is like but that was like the greatest challenge ever is to put on simulation tires and then trying to take a car out in grand grand turismo for drifting mm-hmm. unbelievable yeah it was just like it's almost impossible to do but i just kept at it over and over and over until i started feeling it out learning how to be good at it yeah i was pretty obsessed with that and that's what got me into like sticking with the wheel with uh, anything that's a driving game. Yeah, because you had um, you had brought to my attention on over the, the weekend at TDL, like, have you done the sim thing? And I was like, not even a little bit. Like, I have, I bought Dude, a set. Dude, highly recommended. Yeah, that's, I was going to ask you too, like, is that, do you have something set up too? Yeah. Yeah, I got into it, like, last year. Like, actually, right when the pandemic started to hit, I was like, all right, well, now's my time to, like, build a rig and all that so i've got a whole thing set up and been playing it for like a year and like it's it takes a lot to get it set up and running to where you can just like hop on and drive yeah Um, it takes a lot of like practice to get used to it and like getting everything set up but once you get it set up and like know what you're doing um dude i am i'm a believer like i think it has improved my tandem significantly now what is it improving like where and I, I, I'm probably going to ask this question wrong because I don't, I've never done it, like the whole sim stuff. Like, where are you improving? Is it, is it more of it because it's muscle, are you building a muscle memory? Is that what it is? Or, like, how does it even work to, like, how is it translating to real life driving? Sure. Um, I think that, I think there's a couple aspects. Like I think for the tandem side, it's that ability to drive and be super aggressive with no consequences that allows you to feel out. Like, it's kind of like I was talking about earlier about like my, my calibration, right. To like how close I am to a wall. Mm -hmm. So like in real life, if I'm just like, Oh, you know, fuck it. I'm going to go just 
huck it in super late and see if I can make it. Like, well, if I do that and wad my car up, like, that's a big deal. But if I do that in sim, like, whatever, you know, come back around, do another lap. So for me, like, in in tandem, right? Like, okay, cool. Like, I can huck in and, like, if I hit this guy, eh, whatever. Now I know not to throw that hard next time, right? So it's like, and the ability to, like, iterate super fast. Like, I'll get on and play for, like, an hour or hour and a half and you'll put down like 120 laps because it's nonstop tires don't run out gas don't run out you, you know what i mean like so you can get so much in in such a short amount of time um and i'm not going to sit here and say that like oh it's 100 percent like driving a real car because i don't think it is obviously you're missing all the g-forces you know that that seat of the pants feeling mm-hmm. but i think that also is advantageous because you're learning to drive with less input so that when you do have that input added back you're that much better of a driver. Like, have you ever, um, I, I bought and read a series of books called speed secrets by Ross Bentley. He's like a, a, a grip driver and like did a bunch of like driver coaching for years and years is well known for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the books, he talks about how like drivers, like pro drivers that he was training, he would have them like remove a sense and go drive. So like he would, he would have them wear like earplugs and then like earmuffs and then like something on top of that. So they like couldn't hear anything and then have them go drive and like practice like that until they got comfortable and ran good times like that. And then take all that off. So then they could hear again. And then all of a sudden they would go like a half second faster. That makes sense. So like you're, when you like restrict one sense, you, Mm. you, your brain really focuses on like improving the other senses and like pulling in more information and using that to get done what you're trying to get done. And then when you introduce that sense that you took away again, now you've got, you've retrained your brain basically. Right. So like if you've trained your brain to use more visual input than you normally would have, because normally you'd be relying on like your, your, uh, seat of your pants feeling. So I don't know. Anyway, I think that applies with sim driving. Like since you don't have any G-force feeling, it's entirely uh, vision dependent. So it's all about like, and I drive with VR. So like it actually has like proper uh, depth perception and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's kind of that thing where it's like you get really good at driving with, with less input than a real car. Like I tell people that I think sim driving is harder than driving a real car, at least to me. Yeah, that's because I'm a field driver. Like, oh, if I smash the floor, if I smash the Sorry, gas I had pedal, to mute real quick. <laughs> I just wanted to point out, I agree 100%. Uh, it is definitely uh, harder on STEM than it is in real life. So, yeah, I think it's a good tool, right? You can get yeah. all that training in. Especially, here's the thing, is like, how often do you get to drive? Like, for Not basically enough. this the price of one track day, I can have this thing here that I can drive three days a week, you know, whenever I have time. I know my son bought himself a, um, with his Christmas money, he bought himself a VR, but he doesn't have like a computer to support it. So like that's his birthday's mm. in a couple months. So like me and the family have been putting um, together like a gaming rig for him. So I'll have that set up, but I am going to piggyback off of it and be like, because he's only here half the time. So when he's not here, I'm going to be playing a cell for sure. But Dude, I mean, do it. Let us know. Well, well, yeah. You can play with us. Like, uh, we got some local guys that have a good server set up. And 
you can chat while you play and like oh, nice. it's it's a fun time. Yeah, uh definitely something I want to do. But so harder to drive if if you can kind of explain it a little bit, it, it's harder to drive in the sim because of the lack of feel or is it just harder like overall? I think it's how... lack of feel. There, I think there's two things at play. There's the lack of feel, the lack of, you know, your inner ear and like you feeling the, the G forces of the car. Correct. And then the other side of it is just the, all the settings and stuff and the differences in wheels. So like, think about like, you could play the exact same car that your buddy's playing on, but if you have a different brand wheel and it has different settings, like it might feel completely different. So oh. that's the other hard part is like getting it set up to where it feels right to you. Um, and that's a big thing. I think like when I started driving sim and I tell other people when they start is like, be consistent, pick like one car. Don't be trying different car packs every time you get on. You know what I mean? Like pick one car and just like drive it and tune your wheel and tune your settings. And that's what I was talking about where it's like a lot of work to get it like to feel right and to be running right where you can just hop on and drive. Um, yeah. So that's the other hard aspect is like, there's so many variables. Like there's so many variables that like you can totally mess it up. Like if you don't know what you're doing. That, that makes sense because there's somebody who's like me, who's not very like a tech savvy person or, or a gamer at that. Like I really don't play video games. Um, I think I play GTA five. That's, and that's not like a, an all the time thing. Um, but it's, for somebody like me, like I, I don't know what to do. Like I, I downloaded a set on my, on my Xbox. I played it once, but as soon as I hit the throttle, it doesn't do anything. Like it just spins out. So that was, yeah. I was just like, uh, I got, I got frustrated and just walked away from it. But that's, but that's good to know that just if you take a little time with it, that might help out. Then again, I'm also just on a regular controller. Yeah, it's definitely all about seat time. I mean, just like anything else, if mm. you get, you know, just keep at it long enough, it'll start clicking. Hmm. But def- like what Alex said, though, you got to stick with the same car. You gotta, that makes sense. I though. would say stick with the same track, like a track you like, and just try to get good with that car at that track. And just doing that to where you feel like, wow, I actually got this. I feel like what I'm feeling in real life now. Then it becomes easier to do the same thing with a different car, different track. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And then actually another question I wanted to ask. Um, with now, let's just say somebody doesn't have the steering wheel, right? Will the controller help translate any of it? Um, let's just say if it's like throttle input, because you're gonna know like when you're on throttle, which is by your finger, or is it just completely a different animal? Which might be a stupid question, but I honestly don't know. That's what I'm asking. No, it's not. I um, I have had discussions with this uh, a little bit with Ryan Literal, and Ryan Literal was a hardcore controller drifter on Forza back in the day, uh-huh. and I was on the wheel. And but it didn't matter because the thing that I, I learned is whether it's a controller or whatever brand wheel you have, if you can get yourself to adapt to let yourself be immersed into what the responses that you need to keep the car in drift. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to do it in a realistic manner, like being disciplined with yourself to set the car on like no ABS, no traction control, no line assistance, no, none of the stuff. Just try to make it like as a true 
real car behavior as possible and mm -hmm. then drift like that uh it benefits you ryan uh, uh often said that the way he uses his controller uh, it helped to make him a better driver huh. so but he took it serious and that's the difference he didn't just like you know roll out of bed and start playing forza you know but it, it's like he, he wanted to try to learn something and that was the only tool he had but he decided to take it serious and he still was able to get a benefit from it yeah because i've heard you in the past talk about like kind of sim rigs and in in i'm paraphrasing here uh, but what you had mentioned was like you know whatever you put the most time into um, is going to be the most beneficial for you yeah, because you're developing a sense with it. You're, you're starting to understand the physics in, in the simulation world that is trying to create uh, to be, be able to get you to understand the feedback of drifting mm -hmm. through its platform. Yeah, <laughs> so you, that's, that's your job is to try to pick that up. But not every game is the same. No, and that's why sim drifting is difficult because, well, like, like Alex said, you're not having all your senses working to, to play it. But you're also dealing with different variations of virtual worlds trying to simulate physics so they're not all the same and and that's where uh people like to say one's bet games better than the other to 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 drift or to teach you how to drift and it really isn't they all work it's just all about how hard you're working to try to get uh, something back that you have experienced or trying to experience in real life yeah that makes sense doesn't mean it's going to make you the best drifter but it's a great tool to kind of help you with key essentials like eye-hand coordination uh recognizing uh throttle behavior things like that like um the reason i brought it up is because like uh, like counter steering timing that's another thing too oh well see that's something i didn't even think about um rico had brought it up to my attention too he's like hey you should start playing video games i was like i don't have a steering wheel set up i was like i have a seto and a remote control he's like that's fine he's like he's like it'll help you with visuals he's like if you go to a track that you know he's like let's say it's Grange. Yeah. It's like you can kind of use the screen as a visual like you know when you're supposed to enter at green um i don't know how true that is he's just it was just something he had mentioned so um that's what got me thinking and then talking to you last weekend got me thinking about it a little bit more and then now i'm pretty convinced i'm probably gonna go at some point tonight and turn a set of one for like 10 minutes before i get annoyed of it and then go back another day. There you go. Yeah. It'll turn into an hour. Hopefully. Hopefully it turns into an hour. Because <laughs> that, that, I don't... Yeah, because if you get in for 10 thing. minutes and you, and you go into it, just uh -huh. to say, okay, I'm just going to try to figure this out, you're going to start letting go of any resistance you had about it, and you're just going to dive in. You're going to start becoming obsessed that. with it. That, I think that's, uh, that's uh, not a bad idea. Um. But yeah, yeah, but that's good to know. Like, I do remember now hearing something, Brian Little talking about the same thing. I think it was by about Atlanta specifically, where he was just playing a game and he was just doing Atlanta, like before his round. I think this was like his early pro two, his earlier pro two days, rather. Um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, Forza. Yeah, that's, see, that's, that's all, that's good to know. Um, what is your guys' current setup like as far as uh, all the fancy stuff? Sim setup? Mm -hmm. uh, mine is a Thrustmaster T300 uh, wheel 
And then I've got uh, the pedals that come with that. And then I've got a Fanatec shifter and a Fanatec handbrake. And then I've just got the passenger seat I pulled out of my Corvette as the uh, seat. And then I just welded up a frame myself in the garage. Um, and then I have an Oculus Rift S headset. I think that's the one my kid got. Don't quote me on that. Possibly. That or probably the Quest. The Quest is the new one, the Oculus Quest, that you can use without a computer. So if he's able to play games on it without being plugged into a PC, it's probably that uh, he Quest model. That thing. He bought it like four months ago. I have to double check. But if that's well, the case, either way, it'll work. I'll have to get him something set up so he can play. Um, and you, Brian? Um, I have a uh, Thrust Master TX, which is basically the same thing as Alex's. Uh, and I have uh, the Thrust Master uh, shifter and the pedals that came with the wheelbase, which I'm needing to replace because I beat them up pretty bad and they're not really doing too great anymore. <clears throat> but uh, I, I uh, built a rig for myself so I can have a handbrake and uh, converted the uh, wheel, the original wheel on it to be like a button box on the side. And uh, there's a company that makes uh, adapters to put on like a normal uh, car steering wheel, like an NRG wheel. I have an NRG 350 millimeter deep dish wheel with oh, a quick stuff. release uh-huh. just because I just wanted to be fancy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but the uh, rig itself, I'm using a S13 dash that was chopped to fit and uh, the center console for it as well. And Blocked it back, and, and I just use a big 60-inch uh, plasma TV mounted right in front of the dash. Oh, that's actually pretty sweet. Do you have uh, qu- qu- one thing I, I've been kind of like on one about lately is the pull-up versus the pull-back on the um, the handbrakes. What is your guys' preference? Pull-back. Pull-back. Okay. Because... Uh, <laughs> I had a pull up in my 240 and drifted with that for many, many years. And then I went to a ASD pullback hydro. And then now I have a PBM pullback in my vet and I have a pullback on my sim. And I don't know. It just feels, it feels better to me than having to reach all the way down, but I've never had a one up. I feel like, does it feel (laughs) unnatural pulling it up? No, I, I, that's how I started was pulling up and uh, for drifting. And then the Miata, I was using pull up. The 350Z, I was using pull up. Uh, it wasn't until I got into the Lexus that I started using a pull back. But for the sim rig, I've been using a pull back for quite some time, hoping to get to that, you know, getting a car that I can install a pull back handbrake in. And I like that style a lot better because it's just, it just feels like your, your reaction time to grabbing it is uh, much easier. Uh, but pull-ups is good for like, you know, for me, I think just like like fun drifting, casual drifting. But uh, there's pros that use pull-up as well. So I think it's just a lot of his driver preference. The, the one that just won this weekend is a great example, actually. Because I think Chelsea yeah, exactly. pull-up. Yeah, he's, he's a pull-up guy. Yeah, it's... And I think they're using inline, too. I don't yes, think they, they have dual calipers, if I remember correctly. Yep. To save weight, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, that's I. I think I heard that before. That's true. Yeah, I'm, that's the reason I actually went in line. Like I just needed the confirmation that it was going to be okay for competition. Because when you first get into it, you're like, oh, I need a fucking wise fat. I need dual calipers. I need yeah three way adjustable coilovers. Um, I, I didn't get any of that, by the way. But I'm just saying, uh, 
it just you go it you go into it because like oh this is what this guy has so I probably need that to be good too, um, which isn't the case I found out, but I ended up ditching the um, the dual caliper bracket, but I have not had a single issue. I think I I want to say I felt the feedback between the handbrake and slowing the car down with the footbrake at the same time. Um, the first few times I drove it. And then after that, like, excuse me, last weekend, didn't even think anything about it. And I was coming in yeah, on the handbrake. Yeah, and I was coming in on the handbrake and the footbrake um, into, like, outer zone one. And it, it didn't, yeah. I don't remember thinking about it at all. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. Like, I have an inline in the vet, and I, I do both all the time. Like I'll be on the handbrake and tap the footbrake or vice versa. And like, yeah, you feel the feedback, mm -hmm. but you just get used to it and it still works. Like they both still work. Like when I get on the footbrake, even though yeah. there's more resistance, it still, you know, breaks the front caliper. But once you're used so, to it, you don't even think I, I like them. Yeah. And then once you're used to it, you don't even think about it. Yeah. It's more like in your head, I feel like. Yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe people have had experiences with their inlines where it like doesn't work as well, or they're not able to actually brake, you know, because the resistance in the circuit is too high or whatever. But I've never had an issue. It seems to drive fine, just because my 240 had a dual caliper setup, mm -hmm. so I had that originally. And then I for this one, I was like, keep it simple. I'm doing inline and no problems. Yeah, I had an inline for it last. It's cheaper, easier. Or before I blew my clutch up, um, I had an inline in 28. Was that 2019? I think. Yeah, 2019, I had the inline, and it was cool, but it was like, I sold that setup for like 400 bucks, you know, which goes back into the build, obviously, when I was rebuilding everything. Um, yep. And then it saved some weight, because so, this is a big girl, uh, so I had to get her weight down as much as I could, and that, that was one of How the How much does it weigh? <laughs> um, that year, I remember it weighed in at 3,100 pounds, and I... I want to say that I got it down at least another hundred pounds, and this is just yeah. falling. I really need to get it weighed. Uh, it didn't help that I put that big ass, heavy ass intake up front, but it looks cool, so that's why it's on there. Um, so, so this is interesting. This is something that I've kind of done differently with a vet, right? Like my vet right now is probably like thirty-two. Really? Without me in it? Yeah. So, so stock, I think they're like just under 31 and mine is still full interior AC, everything. And I added a roll cage. I had a fire suppression. You know what I mean? So like yep. it's heavier than it was stock. I mean, um, I also went and, and that kind of comes back to this. Go ahead. Go ahead. Nope. You go first. <laughs> Sorry. I was just going to say that like, I've kind of had that realization or I'm trying to go down that road of like, it matters, but I think it only matters if you're a good enough driver for it to matter. And I feel like I'm not a good enough driver yet for it to really matter. So every time I go in, oh, my car is too heavy. That's, that's why I'm not competitive. I go, no, it's because <laughs> you, you weren't being aggressive enough or you didn't initiate late enough. You didn't, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So that's kind of my whole ethos with building this vet is like, I want it to be stock so I can drive around town and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And I want to see how competitive it can be that way. Because I think honestly in drifting, that's the beauty of it, right? The driver yeah. matters so much. It does. And my 240 was completely the opposite, right? 
I wanted to build a pro car. I stripped it out. I did everything. I tried to shave every last pound and guess what? I still didn't qualify because I just wasn't a good driver. So with this car and the way I have it set up, I'm like, nah, dude, like anytime I'm not doing well, focus on my driving. Now at some point, obviously that's going to change, right? I'm going to get to a point where the car is holding me back, but mm-hmm. I want to see how, how far, like where that point actually is rather than what I feel like a lot of people do is they just assume that the car is holding them back and start building it to be a race car from step one, Yeah, which, you know, whatever, but different, different add, structure, different folks, but yeah. But to add to that too, there is also the build aspect of these things. And I think it kind of gets disregarded a lot. Um, whereas I'll just me, like as a kid, I never, like I grew up rather poor, right? So we didn't have a whole lot growing up. So I never, this was never like, um, it was never tangible for me. I never believed it to be at least. And then, you know, I, I got a career and I, I do okay for myself. And then to have this tangible, to learn how to do these things, like I truly do enjoy it just as much as I enjoy the driving. I would almost say that I enjoy building more, even though I'm still throwing a wrench across my garage half the time because I'm getting frustrated or something. <laughs> it does happen. You know yep. I mean? But I do enjoy building it and, and it always comes out better every time. Like, like, yeah, certain things on the car may look like crap because that's when I, you know, that was the first thing I did on the car as opposed to maybe the last thing I did on the car comes out, you know, pretty well. Um, so there, there's that aspect of it as well. And I think some people kind of like look past that because drifting is so driver oriented. No, that's a good point, right? Like if you enjoy building the car, then by all means build the car, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's part of the hobby for you. So I think I just realized after building my 240 that I was like, dude, I'm sick of it. I just want to drive. So it's just a different perspective, but I understand. I was the same with my 240, actually. Like, I really liked learning. Like, I built a complete chassis harness and wired it all from scratch, mm-hmm. like, completely, like, and did it, like, three times and found all these autosport connectors and went super crazy into it, taught myself how to weld. So, I get where you're coming from. Like, the, learning all that stuff can be super rewarding in and of itself. Um, and then just depending on your personality, if that's what you like about it. Yeah. 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 That that can be what you're looking for. Like, I look, I look up to... A lot of a lot of guys like I'll, I'll say like Vaughn is probably the someone I like the most. There's Chelsea. It's, it's weird. It's all Mustang guys to be honest, and I hate Fords. I don't hate them. <laughs> They're just my dad was like, don't ever bring one home. Uh, but like I look at JTP a lot. Some guy who can like throw down for sure and then build his own cars. Like I think <clears throat> that is the level that I want to like surpass. If that makes sense. Um, yeah, but but that's all comes with like this hobby that's very expensive, um, and time, and obviously you got to get better at things, including driving, which is still probably the most important. But you can't drive good if you don't have a well built car. Like if you have a shitbox car that's always breaking, like what are you gonna do? Right. Yeah, there's a certain baseline of like reliability and performance that you need to have. Oh, there for is. sure. And there's so much discussion on like it's weird. It's it's like, oh, you should just be getting out there and drive. And then 
you'll be like, oh, well, I cut this corner so I can go drive. And then like, oh, that's not the corner you're supposed to cut. You should always have a really good clutch. You should right. always have good right. coilovers. <laughs> you should always have uh, really good brake pads, whatever it is. You know what I mean? It's There's always something that you should have. And then once you get through that list, you realize like, oh, you should always have a fully built race car. Yeah. So it's, No, dude, that's a good point. Like when I first started drifting, I drifted for like, man, I think I bought my first set of coilovers like three years in. And like, it didn't, like, it, it hurt me, right? Like, my car was a, a sloppy piece of crap on stock 240 suspension. Like, I wasn't, there, there is like a, how do I phrase it? There's like a, a pace that can be set, right? Like, as you learn. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, if you show up with a car that like is super inconsistent and like even a pro would have a hard time consistently linking the track with, like, yeah, that's probably good for like your first event or two just for you to get comfortable with like the concepts of like clutch kicking and yeah. grabbing the e-brake. But like pretty quickly, you're going to hit a wall with that chassis and be like, Oh, well I'm not really learning anything because this car is so incapable. And then that's when you're like, all right, I'm going to add coilovers. Okay, cool. And then you add coilovers. Now you can go drive that with coilovers for, you know, maybe a year until you like maximize that as it's set up. And then you go, okay, now I need a handbrake. So it goes both ways, right? There's the two extremes. You can be the guy who builds a pro two car in your garage and never drives it. And then goes out for your first time to drive it. And it's just like a monster and you can't control it. And it's not a good learning experience for you or the other end of it could be like, you're driving a terrible car that is slowing your learning on the other end. So what's your thoughts on that, Brian? I think we lost him. Did he come back? No, no, I'm back. I'm back. Uh, Yeah, he lost me for a little bit. I'm good now. Um, You know, you know, people take advice and they can either listen to it or not listen to it, but everybody's going to kind of figure out their own way. And if they have opportunities uh, to do it a way they feel is best for them, you kind of just got to let them do it and uh, let them learn from that experience. Such a professional answer. Uh, I don't see them any less because they chose to invest a lot more than you would probably see most people would. Uh-huh. But if they have a purpose and they have a goal behind it and they're working on it, um, you know, you can't you can't really uh, knock them for that. And that's kind of how I look at it because in the end, it doesn't matter. Uh, you plenty of guys who are who are on their scrunch of scraping money like Alex just to go out to events can show up and beat the whole event, win the whole thing. And the guy who made a serious investment in in his program is getting knocked out in like the top 16 consistently half as much. You know, it's, it's not always the case, but I've seen that case. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? So it's kind of like the attitude of being able to, okay, do I keep pushing through this? Do I keep investing in this and keep trying to learn this way? Or do I rethink my program, take a step back and try a different approach? Who knows? Uh, I don't think there's any like the perfect way. I think the only thing is as long as you're not putting yourself out of house and home or destroying your family life, you know, and then I think that whatever you choose to do to move forward with drifting, go for it. That's a great answer. Very, very professional. The bottom line is, is you want to win. And I feel that, you know, if you have it in your heart, you have the passion for it, 
I think the opportunity for you to win is pretty high. And I don't think a, your financial investment to your program has anything to do with that. Within a realistic means, don't get me wrong. You know, uh, without to create a conflict, um, not, not with you guys, but so I'm just going to use Aaron Parker as an example. I've always seen his car just be, his car is amazing. Like, I don't know if you guys saw it, but I've been following him since I got yes, into drifting since 2015. And I've watched him spin out time and time again. Very rarely, I see him mostly at like a competition round as opposed to you know just a seat time round. I don't I don't know if he's like going out for practice days. And then for for him to see what he's been doing, and then finally everything just line up right for him like this past weekend. Like it it gives it gives somebody like I see me hope who does not get the get the the adequate seat time which i think is required um to be successful and i'm, I'm not trying to say anything bad about aaron but it just from what i've seen and i don't know if he's driving more i'm just saying from what i've seen uh, he could be driving more if he's not posting about it uh, he's it's like it's coming together yeah right? Like, but I've also been following him since yeah. he got into the sport in 2015. So, and I don't know how long mm-hmm. he was in the sport already. If that makes sense. So, like, how long? Yeah, has I'm, that? I'm right there with you. Like, I used to read his build thread yeah. on uh, before, like, even social media. He had that like awesome build thread of him, you know, building that car, and you know, he he just did such a good job of writing his posts. Yep. Like he told such a story. Mm-hmm. And like it was super entertaining, and like the highs and lows, and like he would blow that motor, and then like got in with that other guy, uh, Abel or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it was just such a good story, and mm-hmm. I think he was really good at that. But uh, no, this is an interesting question. Like, I guess I think about it this way: like, okay, say for a driver to get to the point where they can win a shootout, let's just put a, a number on it. Let's say they need to t- drive um, eighty hours on track. Mm-hmm. Right. So in Aaron's case, he's an amazing car builder and he's super particular and he's developed really good skills on that end. And it seems like he really enjoys building cars, like 100%. as much as driving. 100%. So, okay. Maybe it took him eight years to get the, that, those 80 hours of track time. Mm-hmm. Whereas if he had just done what was like the minimum necessary to get out on track in practice, Maybe he could have got that done in in less time. That's what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I de- I definitely think yeah, right? it's it's, just, a, it's a sliding scale. Yep. Like depending on what you prioritize and how you get out there. But the other thing is like that probably doesn't work for Aaron because that's not what he's passionate about. You know what I mean? Like he's super passionate about building cars and specifically that car and the rotary and competition. So. In competition. So like if that's if that's what he's passionate about and that's the way he wanted to go about it, then like everybody's got their own path and their own circumstances, right? So if that's what works for him, I mean, here he is, he got his license, right? Yeah. You can make the argument that it's different or or maybe it would have been a shorter route if he went about it differently, but that's the way he wanted to do it. So then you have the I can't fault him at all. Yeah, and then I think that's super cool. Yeah, exactly. And then you have like the handful of people who are like Oh, you should do a full season of pro am because your car needs to um, make it through X amount of events and travel and stuff like that. 
And, and I get that argument to a certain extent where I think I've even discussed it on the show before where I was pro, pro-am. Not, I was, I didn't think shootouts were a great idea for that same reason. But then again, at the same day, at the same time, it's like, we all know any of us who are doing, well, the majority of us rather, who are doing these shootouts in prom, we do know what it takes to do the prospect route. Like we, I'm sure you've had conversations with Pro Two Drive. You even said you had you were working with Andrew Schulte, right? Like you do know what it takes to go through Pro Two or Prospect. Yeah, you know yeah, absolutely. And, and I, like I talk to people about dollar figures and what they spend. Yeah, and, you know the amount of time and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I've had Rome on here before. He said his first, excuse me, his first year of Pro Two was like just under sixteen grand. Yeah, yeah. Which isn't terrible. So, no, it's not, right? It's crazy, like, how... Because like, I always thought, I was like, oh, man, I mean, yeah. at least 40, 50 grand to run Pro 2. Yeah. And then have someone be like, oh, no, I did it for 16. You're like, really? Yeah, and that's tangible. Like, 16 yeah, grand is a lot of money. it's much more, like, achievable. Yeah, it's... it's 16 grand is, is a lot of money, um, but at the same time, it's not a lot of money. That makes sense, right? You know I mean? Like it's it's not something well, I have so in my really pocket, like, but it's something I know I can make. Like what if that comes down right. to like selling? You can, you can make parts. that program. Yeah, exactly. Like I can handle that, but that's just that's one way to look at it, I guess. Just don't go into massive debt trying to do it. I've I've heard like horror yes, stories. I agree with that. So that's. I've heard some horror stories. Yeah, well, we saw it so many years. Like, people would go all out and, like, put everything they had into it. And then, like, here's my other big thing that, like, I'm working on now. Like, I've definitely turned the corner. But, like, getting sponsors and getting your program figured out before you get your license. Because it seems like everybody just gets hyper-focused on, cool, I'm going to win my license. And, like, they neglect the, like, learning how to get sponsors, learning how to bring in money. And then they get their license, and then they're like, oh, shit, now what? Yeah, there's that. Right? So it's like, I don't know. that Because they don't have a title sponsor. That's been a big thing for me this year. Right. But so be mindful. for me now, are... my mindset is like, I'm figuring this shit out now. So uh-huh. like, I'm really pushing to like figure that out. You know, I have a couple of really good sponsors that help me out um, monetarily, not just like part stuff, right? So yeah. like, once you start working on that and putting yourself out there and attempting to get that stuff like in my mind it occurred to me i was like shit dude i need to start doing this now like because i don't want to have to do it on top of figuring out pro 2 yeah that's true so you know i've noticed too is some people are paying for pro 2's title sponsorships or prospect Uh, like they're paying to have the sticker on the car in a way where they're paying for a service to get a service to have somebody out there for working with them. I don't know if it makes sense um, without saying too much, but I do know that some people are kind of paying for a program, if that makes sense. Like you want to go do Pro sure. 2? Like maybe there's an established team Correct. and you're paying to... To be a part of it. Yeah, Does that make yeah sense? fair enough. Okay. Okay. 
So there's that. So you're paying for a title sponsorship. That part, it's it's um, it's a hearsay thing right now, but it's just something that, to make you think about like, oh shit, that's what some people are even doing to be in prospect. Yeah. Where they're not coming in with help. They're paying for that help um, out of their own pocket as opposed to having somebody like, oh, I'm going to... F- I'm going to invest in you. They're investing in these people to help them. Yeah. Well, and it, that's life, right? It's all irrelative. Like it one, is. one person's $20 isn't another person's $20. So depending on their situation, yep, it may not make sense to them to like put all the work in to get sponsorship money. If they already have the capital. That makes sense. Right? Like, if, if I had a hundred grand extra every year, like, no, yeah, I'm not going to put in the effort to go find a bunch of sponsors. Yeah, because right? I know how to make I, that money. I'll just, I'll just pay my way. Yeah, that makes <laughs> sense. No, yeah. I agree with it. It does make sense. But I'm, but at the same time, like, if I do have that money, I can guarantee you, nobody's name is going to be on the side of the car. Like, it's not. I mean, this is personal right. preference, and you I just guess, have like a black car in prospect. Yeah, it, it's just, it's just like now, I think which I talk about a lot is um, look at Chris Forsberg, Ryan Turk, Chelsea Denofa, you know, all the big guys who kind of have a sponsorship to uphold and they got to like, do you want to be that guy like making a commercial? But I can tell you right now, like personally, I don't, I don't ever, ever, ever want to do that. I'd rather just show up to, to the FD and, pay my dues and go drive. Like I'm not trying to like make a commercial and stuff like that, but I get that some guys may want to do mm-hmm. that, but I think it's something that people need to like have that conversation with themselves and realize like, it's this what I want to do or do I need to make more money on my own so I can afford this? Yes. I, you're touching on a really important point, right? Like I think about this all the time with certain sponsorships, even like I, there's a lot of sponsorships I didn't go after because I was like, ah, it doesn't make sense to me. Like the amount of work it would take and the money it is or what it is, isn't worth it. Like I'd rather just work my day job and I'll get a way better return on my time. So like, if you're the guy who's like, you know what? I'm not a social media personality. I don't want to be, I don't want to do these things that sponsors want to get an advertising ROI, maybe instead of putting, you know, however many thousands of hours a year into procuring sponsorships to my social media, I'm going to put that into starting my own business. Yes. And I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to double my income, my personal income, and then I'll have enough, you know, disposable fund money that I can pay for my whole prospect season myself. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to worry about, I could not post a single thing if I wanted to, right? Like, so there's different ways of going about it. And sometimes I think that it might even be easier to make that money through like a business or a commercial venture than from getting sponsors. I feel the same way. I, um, I, have, not, I have nothing to back that up, but I just but have that feeling sometimes that like, it's because it's, it, it's it may more actually like be easier a, to like start a business. Because I know how to make money. Like, the, granted, I, I'm not saying like I'm I'm well off or anything. Like, but I know what it takes to make money, and I know that like my investment in or my time investment rather into making more money, I feel is like more beneficial than me trying to sell myself to somebody who or sell myself to a cutthroat industry. I think 
people forget that this is still yeah. racing, and we need to remember that Huddy Racing um, didn't do anything crazy outside of racing. Like, that's kind of, it's common what happened. Like, for him to, like, just cut a driver. Right. Or, you know, granted, the there's, there's, there's a lot of other variables in that in that scenario, but it's just, it's still a cutthroat um, industry. Like, if you're not performing yep. well, you're done. <sighs> this guy can't afford it no more. Uh, he's just going to bounce. Or whatever the case is. I don't, I don't yeah. know the whole story behind him. Um, but that's just one thing. And then, Brian, what, what, what do you feel about the conversation that we just had? Um, I think that there's definitely two viable directions to go, either going to business for yourself and funding your own team that way. Mm-hmm. You advertise your company on your car. Mm-hmm. or you uh, put in the footwork and you learn how to sell yourself. And some people are better than that than others, that's for sure. Yes. Uh, we've seen it. Some people have a footing in the game already because of they're coming from other media platforms with popularity already. So some have it a little bit easier. Some don't have it so hard, but people have been successful from either side. So it just depends on the amount of work you want to put in. Do you feel like your drive is helping you in that direction? Do you feel like you have a skill set that can help you in either one of those directions? Uh, after weighing out the pros and cons, I would say it's, you know, it's up to you, but looking at it clearly is the best way to find a a route that you could see being the most successful. Yeah. But I just, I think that, um, everyone looks like, like this cookie cutter program of like a Chris Forsberg and stuff like that. And that's just, that was just one thing. It's like, like you got to be honest with yourself. Like, is that your personality type? Like, can you sit there and film a commercial? Like, are you an actor? Right. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, I don't know. I personally believe that like you can learn that. Right. Like, so even if now it's not your personality and you don't like doing this stuff, if you were motivated enough and you grounded out and you did what was necessary to do that stuff, you would eventually get there. But you have to be honest with yourself of whether you want to do it that way. Like, like Brian was saying, like, you got to be brutally honest with yourself about like, do I want to be a pro drifter enough that I'm going to do all this stuff that's super uncomfortable and like the opposite of what my personality is? and change my personality. And if the answer is yes, then you do that. If the answer is no, well then maybe you should look at, you know, other ways of funding your racing, which is equally as valid. Exactly. Sometimes. You know, there's a good, good example of this is Forrest Wang. Forrest Wang, when every, I don't know if you recall when his early days and we started driving a formula drift, it was almost impossible to get him on camera because he would refuse. And then if he actually, when he actually does get in camera, he's very stiff. You can clearly see he's in a very uncomfortable state. It's almost like he has to switch into a, I'm not talking in camera mode. You could almost see it when he, when it happens because, you know, Forrest doesn't normally act like that. He's pretty chill, but he just looks very, very stiff on the camera, but he's trying. And as the years went along, you don't see that anymore. You know, it's just, it's just that he put himself in a position to deal with something because he wanted to be a pro driver bad enough that he learned to deal with it. You know, get the funding, do the responsibilities that are asked of him. Yeah, that's yeah, actually Even though that's probably I like the about. hardest thing in the world for him to do. He's probably so uncomfortable with it. Yeah, and that's something I was actually thinking about 
um, or the a person I was thinking about while I was kind of like bringing it up is he's a perfect, he is 100% a perfect example of somebody who's like, you don't see him on the camera like that. He's not trying to sell stuff. Like even on a social media post, like it's not, it's not like, I don't know. I think we all fucking do it as drivers. Like when we have sponsors, you can tell like we're trying to be a good sponsory like if I post sure. about the wheels right. or something, like in a in a specific manner, like you can tell it's kind of it's almost forced. You know, there's there's no other way to put it. Um, where as opposed to like his stuff, it was kind of like similar. Whereas like a, a Chris Forsberg, I don't know, I don't see him post about like the BC racing coilovers or something like that. Like in a way that a pro-am driver would. But then again, he may not have to, because right. he also has... It's not these, like, very specific, transparent, like, hey, look at this sponsored post I have to do. Yeah, it seems more natural, almost. Yeah, that's... It's true, too. But... Gentlemen, we... are well over two hours now. Yo. I think... I, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like we're just getting warmed up. We're getting I, into the we, good stuff. I know. We're going to have to do this again sometime. We, we are. I, 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 I want to say one last thing, though, before we go. Please do. The uh, Alex and his driving in top 16, I wanted to point out that when, and when he started battling and in all those battles, he drove way better than he ever did the entire weekend there. And the yeah. judges were even looking at me like, why didn't he drive like this in qualifying? Because in his lead line against uh, uh, Sean, his lead line was a, would, be, would have been considered like a top four qualifying pass. Um, yep. I, I want to say, <laughs> yeah, his, that. and he was on point every run. He was just, he just, he, he, when he got into battle mode, he battled and his driving improved dramatically. Some people thrive under pressure, and and, and there's a there's a def, definitive difference between being under pressure for qualifying and then being for under being under pressure for when you're going to tandem in a battle. Like I I really want to say like it's now you're driving faster, um, because you're trying to get away from somebody because you don't want them on your door. You know, the, you got to think of that aspect as well. Um, and you're a little bit more committed, I'd say. But I do see a tendency for people to drive harder under pressure. Even if it's the differences between yeah. like a qualifying run and a tandem run. Well, and that kind of to go back to the mental thing, like I feel like I kind of flicked a switch this weekend because like I've had so many events where like that wasn't the case where I drove like shit under pressure. pressure. Mm. especially in tandem. And I think just like getting the practice under my belt of being in those scenarios and learning and getting better at like being confident or having the mental game or like, cause honestly, like my headspace was like, you know, we went out to battle and I was like, Hey, whatever. He's the best guy out here. Like I'm just going to go as fast as possible and, and enter right on his door as close as I can. And if I crash into him, like, well shit, it's, this is my last battle. Right. Like, yeah. so it was like, I don't know. It was a good, it was a good situation. And like, well, even like we were talking about how, like I went out and like, I don't know if anybody knew this, but like 
So the first battle I did that, that was my mindset. I was like, you know, screw it, whatever. I'm going to just initiate right behind him and just be full throttle and did that. And then like we came out of it and I was like, Oh, that was a pretty good run. And then they said like one more time. And I was like, Oh shit, no, really? Um, so we went around and we did the second one more time and then coming off track at the end, like I try to be courteous, like coming off track, like I straighten up, stay on the power and go wide. Right. To give like the chase driver plenty of room. Cause yeah. I don't want to get hit after the line. Right. So I did that. And I don't know if you saw it, but like on the return road coming off that last outer zone, there was a massive ass pothole on the right side of the track. So I blasted through that with my right tires at like 40, 50 miles an hour. And I bent my front uh, passenger side wheel and my rear passenger side wheel. So we went back in to change tires and I was like, oh shit, cars are being like crazy. Like check the wheels. So the guys looked over the car, they replaced the rear tires. And I was like, okay, we're good. So then we went out to drive out to the line and like driving over there, I was like, oh man, it's still vibrating like crazy. So like we hadn't noticed that the front wheel on the passenger side was bent as well. And they were kind of like, oh, you know, what do we do? Do we go back in? Do we change it? And then it was just like, nah, we're here. Like screw it. We don't have time. Like I'm just going to send it. And then like even we pulled around and I forgot to warm up the tires because we had put new rears on. And even that was like, Brian, was it you or Austin that like asked me like, Oh, are you going to warm up your tires? And I was like, Oh shit. I totally forgot that these are new tires. Yeah, it was like, awesome. They still had a sticker on it. They still had mold release. Like, 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 and I was yeah. like, gonna go up and battle. And I was like, ah, fuck it. Whatever. Like, we'll see how it goes. I'll just, I'll just spin them a little bit off the line. So, and then I went out and I did that and like, it was fine. And I remember just having this realization afterwards. I was like, dude, I don't know about other drivers, but like I get so in my head about all these little details that like at the end of the day, I don't think they really matter if you're, if you just like trust yourself to be a good driver and mm. like are confident. Yeah. Yeah. That, cause I went out there with the is... fucking like in drift, the wheel was like shaking on me cause the front <laughs> wheel was so unbalanced from being bent. Uh-huh. And like, I still put down a great run. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? And it was like kind of a learning experience for me of like, nah, dude, you got to work on your mental game. Like you yeah. need to be confident and that'll, that's what you need to do. Like, stop worrying about like, Oh, did I warm my tires up to the proper temperature or like, Oh, is my alignment settings just right? It's like, it, it was a learning experience for me for sure. It's, it's one thing to be like, even if they're not 100%, like, Oh, I can drive this Yep. in your head. Like even if it's not like, what I think it should be. Like I, I should be able to drive through it as a driver. Uh, but I don't know. I personally think that like certain things like that, where you, where you drive through like a, a shitty setup or something like that, um, can kind of make you a better driver. But at the same time, I've also heard like, you know, it can also create bad habits. Yeah, I'm sure. So, but, yeah, it was just really eye-opening to me from like a just the mental side, I guess. Yeah, and then so you know, be be mindful, that for Sean is a really good driver too, and like you said, he's pro- one of the best out there. He clearly showed it that day. Um, but I've seen him drive before as well, and uh, like to give you made him earn his his top eight spot. <laughs> let alone his, yeah. you know, second place. I'm not, I don't remember who he went up against after, and this is not to, like, shit on that. But, like, I'm just saying to have two one-more-time battles in your top 16 
like shit like that's now you're fucking with his head that makes sense right. the judges were saying it felt like they were uh they were uh nitpicking a final battle because it was so close they yeah. were blown away that this was the first battle of the day yeah, yeah. it's like oh yeah. well, this is what we got it for the rest of the day but it's just it's something to be mindful and it's something to yeah. be like proud of too it's it's uh it's definitely a confidence booster to be to go up to you know you're going up against someone who's good and not they didn't just beat you outright like now you're now they're questioning themselves yeah put up a fight yeah exactly exactly but yeah 100 percent. so i'm excited that that that's how it went down and i had a good time and he's a super good driver so it was it was a lot of fun but uh brian are you gonna be uh spotting again in october Yes, that's the plan. Okay. And then we're going to see each other again in October. And hopefully Sean makes it out to the next one. Um, yeah, the, I'd love to run him again. To see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, you're talking about Mirtha? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Gotcha. Sean? Okay. Yeah. Oh, I hope, oh, oh I hope Sean Illingworth, the one we were just talking about. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, oh, you were? Okay. No, no, I was, I was talking about Sean Murphy. He might come back just for the battle, com- the battle experience, and, but he got his license already. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know his, um, his, uh, his go Like, um, John Schaefer has his license. He still came out. Yeah, sometimes there's drivers like that that aren't ready to make the leap or don't care to, and they're just they just want to compete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he likes the competition stuff. He said, "Yeah, he, I would bet. Yeah. I would bet he's be, he would be back." I've tried he, to get him on before. He's like, "I'm not coming on." I was like, "That's fine." It's, <laughs> it's not for everybody. It's, it's not. It's not for everybody. And then uh, I think he even said, like before in the past, he said he didn't want to do the pro spec thing, and then now he's like, "Shit, I think I got to figure out how to do pro spec." Um, I know. I think he wants to. Yeah. I don't. I can't speak for him. I think I'm pretty sure he would if he had. Um, the means to if that if that makes any sense. But yep. maybe with sponsorship, 100%. he doesn't have it right now. So we'll see. I'd love to see him in pro in pro spec. So I think he's a really good driver. Um, but already, gentlemen, I think that's it. Uh, how can people find the two of you on your social media? Uh, so Instagram's kind of my main main social media that I focus on is just a uh, at Anderson drift project. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a Facebook too, but it's honestly, it's just all reposted auto stuff from the Instagram. So yeah, that's is. the place to go. Yeah. Brian. Brian. We lost him. I'll do it for him. Uh, my name oh, is yeah, Brian I'm sorry, Young. I'm sorry. You can find me at <laughs> 8-Bit Miata. <laughs> sorry, 8-Bit Miata. Brian. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a, at it's a, at eight. The number eight bit underscore Brian. Brian spelled with a Y. Got it. Again, gentlemen, thank you guys for coming on. Um, I look forward to seeing you guys in October. You too. Have a good night. Be safe. Yeah. All righty. We'll see you too, soon. Appreciate. Thank it. you for having we'll us. Uh, of course. Thank you for coming on. You guys have a good one. Bye. All Take right. Care. Have a good night. You too. Bye bye. Later, dudes. <laughs>